What's up, everybody, and welcome back to Hardcore Troubadour. My name is Brian Wallace, and I am joined by my co-host, Tyler Short. Tyler, we got a big one to dive into today. We do. I've been looking forward to this one, man. Yeah, same, same. So today we're going to be talking about The Hard Way, um, which is Steve's fourth studio album. And as as both Tyler and I have noted previously, his longest one, you know, up, up to this point. Because um, we had discussed how up to now there was like a pretty strict like 10 track, you know, like side A, and side B. Yeah, I realized that today I was like, oh, shit, this record's 55 minutes. That's right. Oh, shit. This one's 13 songs. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't have I couldn't find any specific evidence of this. But I'm assuming that the success of Copperhead Road meant that I think he he got a little bit more creative license. Um, mm-hmm. And also, you know, this was, I mean, all these labels have changed now and are under Universal, but I think this was released on MCA um, originally. Um, well, I think it was Uni, the, the same as uh, what um, Copperhead Road was. because It he was. Had- he he'd you know shot his shot with getting off of MCA you know proper to That's doing right. this but um when i was reading a little bit about this record people are thinking that this record might have been what got him dropped finally mm, and yeah. my version of this is actually the 2016 reissue that geffen did geffen did okay yeah yeah i was I appreciate you clarifying because I had like I was looking around and like finding I was like okay, Geffen, MCA, Uni, um, and some of that just has to do with like MCA no longer existing and like Universal owning all the yeah. back catalog, et cetera. So, um, yeah, this it's it's cool to think in that context as well. So like the you know commercial success of Copperhead Road and then this as a follow up, which um i love you and i both have a lot you know that we can get into about this record but which was not as big of a you know seller or commercial success coming off of copperhead road and this was two years later 1990 um tyler before we start actually jumping into the tracks tell me a little bit about like what's your relationship to this record like in your you know familiarity with all of steve's work so I'm I can't really remember which song it was. I think this might have just been like so I went through like a a thing which I I can't remember if we talked about this on previous episodes where like I when I found Steve like there was the few songs that I knew that that I knew and I first went to those records and those were the records that I attached to. Yeah. And then for a while cuz it took me a while to get around to Guitar Town and um because I had this, I had this fear sometimes when I really like something, I'm always afraid to listen to the next record because mm. I'm afraid it's not going to get me the same way. And I think that the hard way was one that I came to after, you know, getting into Guitar Town, where I was just like, all right, I'm just going through them. Yeah, I'm just going to yeah. go through them and just and just when I, when I've exhausted one to the point where like I know it inside and out, I'll move on to the next one and I'll see if 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 anything catches me. And that's where like you know I. I asked you and you had a hard time coming up with the top five, bottom three, which it can evolve, Brian. <laughs> of course, mine of mine course. might evolve, but yeah. I'm familiar enough with, I think, all the studio albums enough to be able to place it. But Hardway is 
solidly in my top five. And, and I think that it like in like going through it like that, like kind of the system systematically, because I'm crazy and like, I've got like a, like a, um, OCD tendency with a lot of things where like, it wasn't until I felt like I was done with this record that Mm. I feel the need to move on to the next one. Mm. And I'm pretty sure that's, uh, just kind of how I came across the hard way. And it's just has been one that I've come back to often and I don't skip a single song. Um, it is one of the few uh, records that I tracked down in a record store. So that's awesome. Of, of them, I didn't have to buy it online or, or, yeah. uh, or buy it off a web store or anything like that. I actually found this in Chicago when uh, Inclination was up playing those Knocked Loose shows in uh, in Chicago right after COVID happened. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I can't remember what else. I think I got a Margot Price record and uh, Agnostic Front, uh, Riot Riot Upstart and violent reaction lp and i feel like there was something else i spent way i spent basically all the money that uh ldb made because <laughs> caleb was selling caleb was selling ldb records i think on the yeah. table and i spent every dime that he get handed me from that weekend on records at uh i can't remember which record store it is it's the one that ha- there's a few um in chicago uh it's not like a chain but it's just they happen to have a couple record stores uh Got it. And I can't remember which one it was now, but and that's going to drive me crazy. But uh, but yeah, no, I'm uh, I'm happy to own this thing. I love that. And I mean, you know, think about it this way: you you were just reinvesting the money that you made from LDB back into you know the the physical music economy. Yeah, um, I love that. And that's a killer haul that you got that weekend as well. And it reminds me too, like speaking of hardcore, once we get into the tracks. Um, I've got some hardcore connections um, on one of the songs uh, that we'll kind of bring up. I'm excited for yeah. this reveal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'll, I, I, I texted Tyler before this to remind me so I don't forget, but then I just went back through my notes and was like, let me just write it in there so I don't forget when we get to that track. Um, but similarly, I can say with the uncertainty I have currently about my like top five, bottom three overall, this one's definitely in the top five. I don't know exactly where it's ranked at this point, but it's definitely one of them. Oh, I'm not and, numbering them one through five. Oh, they're just, I thought they're top five. Oh, no, I, I was no, making just this in the top five. I was making this a lot harder on myself than it needed yeah. to be. Okay. No, I don't know what number one is. Yeah. I just know that it's top five. It's like and that. this is the first record we've done that is in my top five also. Oh, that's good to know. That's not the case for me, um, but that's really, really good to know. Well, um, next, when when you've solidified your your idea of your top five, bottom three, we'll next episode we'll discuss what we've already covered and why why they make your top five. Awesome. Yes, we'll definitely do that. Um, and before jumping into the tracks too, I think you know I, I've talked a little bit before about like so many people, Copperhead Road was my first introduction. And then it was through um, my friend Brian Hartley that I played with in a band called Half Acre Gunroom that I really became like a true Steve Earlhead. And there were several records that he got me into, um, but The Hard Way was one of them. And I just have some very vivid memories of him burning me a CD of The Hard Way, which like, I had just, this is me, you know, aging myself again too. Like mm-hmm. I'd just gotten like the adapter that would go into the cassette player in my car. 
um, to play so, a CD, to play a CD, so I could <laughs> put my disc man with the ever important, you know, like anti-skip protection, and it's still uh, oh, fucking yeah. skipped every thirty seconds anyway. But um, in my good old nineteen eighty-five Mercury Topaz that I bought, um, with money I made working at uh, Chili's. So, you know, that's, it's like leading me back to like that particular coming off of that summer. And I remember finding the CD used in, um, I mean, similarly, a record store in Memphis that has been closed down for many years and being like, I want to actually buy this, you know, like I've had this CDR, I want to actually own this because um, some of the songs on here well, one in particular, but several of them are like deeply personal. Um, and there's one track that I feel like in some ways changed the trajectory of my life as, as wild as that might be to say. And so um, easy to, to, to figure out then why The Hard Way is in my top five and also holds a, a really special place in my heart, even amongst all of the other Steve Earle records that I really, really love. Um, That's awesome. So yeah, man. So this that, is one of the ones uh this is one of the ones I'm uh, on the lookout for for my dad because I've got my dad going uh, uh speaking of f- stumbling across CDs I've got a uh collection going for him right now and I I found a Transcendental Blues the other day at a, a, a secondhand store and I bought that for him. I think I'm going to wrap nice. it and give it to him on Christmas but nice. I gave him Train of Coming recently and uh and he's got Guitar Town. I have a, literally a list on my iPod of like, these are the ones my dad already has that I don't need to look for anymore because he's got so many I needed to keep track. That's but awesome. He's got Guitar Town and Copperhead Road and Washington Square Serenade. And I got him the new one, The Ghost of West Virginia, last uh, Christmas. And then I got him Low Highway and Revolution Starts Now, like for a different Christmas, I think. But uh, but yeah, um. But yeah, also before we get into things, I kind of want to talk credits a little bit because yeah. uh, this record was also recorded at Ardent. Mm-hmm. Um, and Joe Hardy, um, who did the recording and mixing on uh, Copperhead Road, produced this record. Yes. And he gets like big billing on this. Like when uh, on the on the sleeve, it says produced by Steve Earl and Joe Hardy. So they must have been uh like on the back sleeve it like has that big so like he was really trying to help his friend out who apparently has no digital footprint because i was like trying to look up this guy legit his wikipedia is or his name on wikipedia is unclickable and there's just nothing when you search this guy so i don't know if he was just a, a, a a you know ran the boards and you know steve clicked with them or or what the deal was but uh it's also dedicated to emilio lorenzo ensenat yeah couldn't find a single thing about the guy. I found that he was a record company executive and that's okay. all I could find. Not, not any other details, but like, I am imagining that this was a dude that helped Steve out. I guess. Um, yeah. Yeah. I guess. And maybe, maybe him uh, not being around anymore might've had something to do with him getting dropped. Could be. Major, major labels. Could be. You never yeah. know. Maybe that was the one thing that kept him uh, having a having a chance uh and uh and making it. But I mean I'm kind of glad if and if if anything, him going through everything he went through around this period of time gave me so many more like monumental records for like the development of my brain. Oh, absolutely. Um, 
I uh, I did want to ask you uh, for singles. Like, was the other kind and Billy Austin or those the singles off this record? I'm assuming. Let me check. I have those are the one. It I couldn't find anything that just like uh, gave that. They're the ones that got music videos, which is why I'm assuming they were probably yeah. ones that were singles. I don't have any other like indication, and it's interesting. You know the. I think the technique of seeing like which songs have videos is, is typically, you know, what's going to like tell you what was released as singles. But what is fascinating is pretty much every other record um, that we see um, like, like on the Wikipedia page, for yeah. instance, right? Like it says like singles, it has information about like, you know, charting and stuff like that. Um, this doesn't this have any- has like nothing. No, it just, we know that the album peaked at number 100 yep. on the Billboard 200 and it made it to number 22 in the UK. Um, and, but no other information other than that. And I think um, the other stuff that I, um, another thing that I thought was fascinating, um, just to name it is you were talking about obviously the, the, you know, production credit and Joe Hardy and, I'm simultaneously like, it's frustrating that we can't find any information about him, but also I'm like, good for him. Um, if yeah. he <laughs> like truly managed <laughs> to sure. like, escape the grid. Um, <clears throat> we can talk more about it when we get to it, but the track Regular Guy, which has like a big kind of like, you know, mm-hmm. country chorus version of a yeah chorus, like, yeah. you know, the gang vocals, you know, coming in on it. Um, Justin Towns Earl, Steve's yep. young son, was mm-hmm. part of that group. Um, yeah, he's. There's a list of people on this uh, on the the credits for for that song. It's pretty great. It's pretty that's great. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, yeah. Anything else from the, uh, you know, from the record um, sleeve? Nothing that really notes? jumps out. It's the, yeah. it's the usual the usual list of characters on the back. So, um, uh, yep. Got it. Um, one last thing, you know. I had noticed Steve does um, Steve does a benefit here every year for um, for a school for children with special needs. Mm-hmm. And they just announced the date for this year. I've been to it a few times. Yeah. Um, it's awesome. It's a fundraiser. Um, you know, he, he typically has like a lot of really cool guests. He's had Springsteen with him in the past, you know, like a lot of really cool names. And at first I, I was almost in, like instinctively like, well, of course I got to buy a ticket to this. And then I realized, um, I've got a conflict because it's this December and I'm actually going to be in um, North Carolina for prayer for cleansing and catharsis. Oh, um, no shit. Yeah. So uh, some, some buddies, Chad from perfect world, Tom Sheehan, Mm -hmm. a few of us heading down for that, uh, which is a a benefit show for the family of a uh, North Carolina hardcore legend who I, you know, did not have the privilege of knowing, but who a lot of, I think I heard about that. um, a lot of close friends um, had nothing but positive things to say about a guy just a little older than me that died way too young. Um, and uh, so, yeah, so won't be able to, to see Steve uh, here in New York in person this winter, but hopefully it won't be too long before one of us gets to see him again. Yeah, no, I need to, I need to see him again, dude. I, after seeing him last summer, it was just, just even more amazing than the first time I saw him with my dad. So I'm, I'm excited to see it again while, while he's still doing it. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Um, sad, but also like realistic to think, yeah, he probably won't always be doing this. So uh, I should... think he might actually do I it mean, until he's not around anymore. <laughs> I mean, 
I mean, I have, you know, as long as he feels healthy, you know, we'll certainly take it. And um, hell, he sounds a lot better than even a lot of other artists who, you know, took better care of themselves over the years yep. do right now. So um, props to him for that. But yeah. So Tyler, like you said, we got a lot to dig into we on do. this record. So should we get to it? Yep. Let's go. All right. Track one, the other kind. Um, man, first thing I'll say, this just continues Steve's streak of incredibly so strong opening tracks. Like I wrote that down. <laughs> yeah, right on. Like it, it doesn't have to be the best song on the album, but there's just something about it being like a tone setter. Um, and it includes several of, you know, my favorite Steve lines of all time. And I've like been, you know, torturing Tyler with a few of them like via text and otherwise, like, you know, you know I love the, it the past months. Yeah. I, I know I say I hate you, but I, I love it. <laughs> you know, I do want to, I do want to say, so, so me and Brian starting this podcast, uh, um, spurred off of us having a conversation about Steve in, uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma for yep. prom core yep. when our bands played together. And, um, because I had bought the, the terraplane record on, uh, on the, on that tour and i was wearing my i feel all right shirt at that yep. show and we struck up a conversation about this and um from there you know we kind of discussed him a little bit more but then uh i was kind of going through some shit and if you know me you, you know kind of what i was going through over early summer and um, I had gotten a package in the mail and I'd kind of like save time to open it because me and me and my girlfriend at the time were like making little um, little videos for our, uh, our record label TikTok until she got way too busy to keep up with these things. <laughs> um, so I'd had this package from Brian that I was waiting to open so we could take a little video of me kind of responding to it. And I had a feeling when I when I opened it, it was going to be something Steve Earl related and because it was a little tube, but it's probably gonna be a poster. And um Brian had sent me and it'll it'll probably be in in with this uh when we when this episode goes up, they'll on the Instagram there'll be photos of this poster. Um that uh Jason Isbell, Amanda Shires, I think the Mastersons, was that everybody on the the gig? Yeah, there might have been a couple others, but those were the ones I remember. Yeah. Yeah. Um but uh yeah just Brian had just been so thoughtful and sent me this thing and I was going through a moment and just uh he sent me his letter. It says, Tyler, Steve signed this poster for me at a benefit a few years ago in NYC. He could not have been nicer. Wanted you to have this as a small token of appreciation for all you've done for a perfect world and so many other bands. I appreciate you and hope we cross paths again soon. There are those that break and bend. I'm the other kind. And he <laughs> signed it with, with some X's. And yes. uh, man, I was just going through a really hard time at that point. And I think like getting that and then, you know, texting you and, that's where this whole thing got, uh, you know, kind of brainstormed and now we're, we're doing this thing and making it real into the world. And, uh, I don't know, man, I just think like, like this, this song and everything about it and you like kind of reminding me of, you know, that kind of, uh, that, um, I don't know, just that like motivation was just really, yeah. really nice. And, uh, man, it's just, it's, it's, music is awesome um hardcore is awesome it brought me and you together but then you know to find all these different things we share it's 
I wish conversations like what we have with this podcast would happen more between yeah. friends. Yeah. I wish we would all talk about music and art a little bit more than we do. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, dude, I, uh, I also did realize in, in, um, before we get into it, this is the first record we have a forward for. Oh, and I forgot to read it. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, we're still on track one. So we're still on track one. So, so yeah. yeah. And I, when I, when I first, when I got this out of the sleeve, when I got home from Chicago and I read this, um, this is kind of what spurred me on my, on my thirst to, to acquire more of these, uh, these records in their physical format, just so I could have the words that he writes to accompany them and only to be a little disappointed because I already had exit zero and Copperhead road, um, which I'd got from a record store locally. And those were in MCA days and the, um, layouts for those are just front cover back covers got the lyrics on it. Yeah. No insert, no anything like that. So this is the first one with like a real legit insert, um, other than Copperhead road and Copperhead road for some reason doesn't have anything like that. I'm wondering if there's maybe like a reissue that may have some, uh, some like thoughts on the record, but this mm. is the first one that at this point in time, Steve started to write forwards that I think more than the music, which is, you know, can be timeless. I think this is such a good snapshot of where his mind was at the moment of, yeah. of writing this. And there's, there's really good ones to come on future episodes. So if you <laughs> are, you know, a, loose steve earl fan and we're only familiar with guitar town and copperhead road and you just listen to those episodes and you don't have any um incentive to keep listening um i promise you there's way better to come <laughs> yeah and there's really nice sentiments uh yeah. on some of these records coming up so if you just listen to this one because it's one after copperhead road keep listening because there's there's some that are maybe not as good as this one but there are some that are close <laughs> Um, so it says some of the people out there are trying. Some of the people out there have given up. Some of the people out there are well out there, but we are all people, people living in a society that equates money. Sorry, people, we, uh, my brain. You're we're going to, we're going to maybe, maybe, maybe you edit this. <laughs> Okay, you can. It's just it's cursive. Cursive is so hard to fucking read. Let's especially when you don't fucking know how to write it. Okay, I mark anymore. The, I mark the time. Just um, to be you know, start gotcha. reading when I'm going to go in. But we're all people. People living in a society that equates money, status, and power with dignity, when in most cases nothing could be further from the truth. The more you have, the harder it is to appreciate it. For the last three or four years, I've been trying to figure out what one does with oneself once one's dreams have come true after much stumbling and falling thousands of miles a lot of laughs and a small amount of pain i think i know the answer find another dream fast wow yeah well i mean in addition to being just really fucking spot on <clears throat> it gives so much like context to a lot of the lyrics on the record too i mean including you know this including the other kind the opening track mm -hmm. right where it's just like you know his his buddies like you got two of everything what the you know kind of like what yeah. the fuck are you so bummed out about dude like you are you're living the dream you know and 
you know, him still realizing that it's like, yeah, that's true. Um, that line that I love so much, damn sure not suffering from a lack of love. Um, but like, fuck. every time he writes lines like that, I'm like, we know, man, we know yeah. how many times you've been married. <laughs> We're aware. We're fully aware. That's right. Plenty more where that came from. Um, but it just makes me think, yeah, there's, the, it, it hits back on that like restlessness and it's not about what he hits on there. in that letter too is like, it's not about being ungrateful for the mm-hmm. success. Like he's incredibly humble and grateful for it, but it's just like, okay, this is cool. It still didn't fill that hole inside of me, yeah. you know? So I, I got to keep moving. Right. Yeah. No, I just love that idea of just like never being done. Yeah. And like, and like, that's like, I can relate to that so much because like as a person who has like, uh, like an incredible level of like death anxiety, mm. I, uh, I think it's because I never want to stop like learning or experiencing or watching or laughing or talking or living. And, um, and I'm never like, I mean, it's, you know, I never satisfied, you know, right. it's like, it's that, <laughs> this idea that like, we're going to keep, like, he is such a through line through like so many of these records and so many of these songs that I think just like really, really like captures like the other kind is such a good driving song too. Yes. Absolutely. Like, and that's almost every one of these records is opened with a really good driving song. Just that that's a good point. Yes. You want to go out and you want to see like one of the things I wrote is every lyric in the song is perfect. It literally is perfect. Right. Yeah. And I mean, you bring it up that but there are those that break and bend. I'm the other kind. I wrote that on that letter that I sent you. And thank you again for for sharing that, Tyler. Like that I I share the gratitude that that so much has connected us. Um, and, you know, from hardcore to Steve's music to just, this has been such a fun and fulfilling project and um, so fucking cool to like feel this close to somebody that I've only actually gotten to talk to in person a couple of times, you know? Um, but like, I love that line. I feel like it connects in so many ways to like my life um, to this idea of like, yeah, um, it doesn't mean I'm not going to, you know, experience pain or ever be scared or like ever have doubt or anything like that. But like, I ain't going to fucking break, you know, like saying that with confidence, um, the Jack Kerouac line, dude, it's such a good line. Like, and it may you mentioning too, like, you know, being on the lookout, uh, for stuff for your dad and keeping that running list. Right. One of the things I wrote down is this reminds me so much of my stepdad, you know, who is, who's kind of the only dad I ever knew who passed away um, almost exactly five years ago. Um, And he was a, he was a Harley rider and that Harley is sitting in a shed in Olive Branch, Mississippi, and is technically mine. Um, But, uh, you know, I don't know what the fuck I'd do with it right now, other than, you know, we're just going to make sure that it doesn't rust and like, yeah, it, it stays, it stays up. But like this, listening to this makes me be like, you know what? Uh, I got family that would kill me, but I want to, next time I'm down there, I'm going to take that thing for a ride, you know, <laughs> like, um, yeah. just because it, it like that, I gotta, I gotta move. I gotta get somewhere, mm-hmm. you know, I got, all you need is two good wheels, you know? So. Yeah, um, no, it's, it's, it's great. And like, 
like uh, one thing I wrote, like this song is five minutes long and it fucking rules. Yes. It never drags. Yeah. Even though like, it's that it, long. It is great. Like even while like it's definitely one of those songs that like every every like all the the intermissions in the song when like the mandolin comes in, it's very yep. nice. Yep. And but it's just like I'm like nowhere am I like Borgs. So I'm like, oh, I know that last verse is just gonna like hit me again. Yes. Like like I'm waiting for it. Like I'm not I'm not at all bored. I'm just anticipating the next thing. One thing I also wrote, dude, on this record, the fucking snare. Yeah. It's the huge. Snare is huge. Yes. I legitimately like I I punished Ashton with it while we were in bed last night while I was doing writing all the notes and whatnot for this. Um, I was like, yo, I was like, I I I was like, I, I know Alexa is not gonna do the snare justice, but like you gotta hear this fucking snare. Yeah. And I like made it made the 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 uh music play through the the Alexa for a second so she could hear it. And I was like, I was like skipping around for between a few songs, like God, just like listen when the fucking snare comes in on this song. Like every like there's so many of these songs, like I'm gonna come back to this fucking snare. Yo, right. I do have a question. Is this your favorite song? Um I have two. You have two on this record that I couldn't choose between. Really? Um, this is one of is, the two. This is one of the two. Okay, cool, yeah. cool, cool. When you said something earlier alluding to uh because I had this, I had guessed this would be your favorite song. This is this is the most quotable song uh for me. So and and just there's something about I think too, because this is the opening track, and in addition to like you said, being such a good driving song, I'm excited when I hear it, not just because I like this song a lot, but also because like, I know I'm fucking listening to the hard way. And so like, mm -hmm. we're about to have, you know, almost an hour's worth of good shit with, you know, we'll get to them, but in my opinion, only really a couple of parts that drag in, in the oh, yeah. 55 I've got minutes. Two songs that I could maybe lose. And it's just because of like exit zero. It's just because of the strength of the songs that they're matched up. Exactly, exactly. I'm curious if we have the same drag songs. Yeah. I'll, I'll be curious about that too. Let's remember to um, get back to that. Did you watch the music video for this song? I did. It's fine. It's fine. Right. Like <laughs> what are you going to do? Like, that's, yeah, it's fine. I mean, I'm thinking, I, uh, we haven't talked a ton about the videos, but like, you know, well, cause I hadn't watched any of them until the last episode. <laughs> got it. Got it. I mean, a lot of them are very like, you know, it's like, yep, this is what I would expect. This is, they didn't spend a ton of money on this, but it's cool. Yeah, it's and it's it, very dated. It feels like more of a promotional tool than anything yes. else, which is, is totally understandable. Right. Um, mm -hmm. Especially because like the, the, the late eighties, as Steve was first coming to prominence was just like, you got to make a video. You got to have yeah. something that could be played. Um, so, you know, I, yeah, it was. It's it's totally fine. I, I don't know. Yeah, how... the rodeo stuff is a little goofy. That's what I wrote down, and uh, I, I did write the the fucking Copperhead Road sticker on his guitar is fucking huge. It's huge. It's I so saw it. big. It's like I saw a guitar. Another video of him at a, doing like a live set in a Q and A playing that guitar, um, actually with uh, Jerry Jeff Walker. Um, oh, that's awesome. So where and and I'll not to get too far off track. We'll talk about it later. But um, it gives a little bit of illumination, the interview he does in that video to like what led to the rockabilly business he was doing early on mm -hmm. in his career. Um, 
you know, it's just a little snippet I find when I'm going down a YouTube hole looking for stuff, you know, but like, um, yeah, I, I, he's playing that, that literal same guitar with the huge Copperhead Road decal on it. That's awesome. Um, yeah. I mean, damn, just, just a killer opening track. Um, you ready to move on or you have anything else on the other kind? Yeah, I think that's all I got, man. Just this song, dude, if you, if you've never heard a, a song off this record, which I'm assuming you, you have, if you're listening to this podcast, but this is the song to listen to. Oh, absolutely. I totally agree. Um, so let's move into track two, which is yep. prom- promise you anything. And this is where I'm going to bring in a little story yes. uh, and a connection to hardcore. So, well, for, you know, just say a few quick things. I love this song. One of my favorite guitar melodies. The chorus is so catchy in this yes. song. Um, and the harmonies are one of my favorite parts. And there is a female harmony with Steve. The person singing the female harmony is Stacy Earl Mims, who is Steve's younger sister. Um, Stacy is the mother of Kyle Mims, who was slash is Nashville hardcore kid, drummer for Love is Red. Um, no shit. Drummer, yeah. And so that is Steve's nephew um, played drums for Love is Red. And the way that I found that out at one point, this is a funny story. Kyle was in another band. I think they were called Traitor, um, straight edge band that had, you know, some dudes from Nashville and some dudes from Alabama playing in Memphis. And I don't know why in this particular episode I've made so many references to like, you know, the novelty of having CDs in my car in the early 2000s and how that was just the coolest thing. Mm-hmm. But we were hanging out because they had come into town early looking through like my CD booklet to like, yeah. put something on. And I forget which record it was. I don't think it was the hard way, but I had a Steve Earl CD in there. And Kyle was like, oh, no shit. That's my uncle. And said it so casually, <laughs> right? And like, like turning the, you know, and like, oh, keep it. Oh, yeah, you know, that's my uncle. Turn the page. And I immediately, I'm like, what? Steve, Steve Earl's your uncle? Holy shit. And then starts bringing up like his mom, who is a musician herself and his, yeah. his singer songwriter put out some stuff. But at this period, she played a role. She did backing vocals on, you know, some stuff on the hard way. Most prominently, I think in Promise You Anything, where I just think her and Steve's voices go together so mm-hmm. perfectly on that chorus. Um, but on uh, the tours he was doing after this and on Shut Up and Die Like an Aviator, which is the live record that came out after mm-hmm. this, she played rhythm guitar and sang and was part of part of the Dukes, basically, Dude. for that period of time. You, and that's, she was the Duchess. She was the Duchess. <laughs> Fuck yeah. And she at, at the time, you know, her young son at home was... Um, would become a fucking killer drummer who would, you know, play in a few bands throughout the two thousands and be just in, in addition to that legit, one of the nicest dudes I have not kept in touch with Kyle. Maybe he'll hear this, but the last time we talked, I remember he and his wife were running a gym together somewhere in the Nashville area, like just outside of Nashville, just a super fucking nice, earnest dude um, and a killer drummer. And so, yeah, there's, there is a, an actual connection to hardcore. Um, That's in, so in cool. I saw yeah. Love is Red when COVID ended, uh, 
or COVID was still kind of going on when they had an, a big outdoor show in Nashville that uh, right. it's like terror and comeback kid and love is red. And, um, fuck God, I am blanking on the name of the band. Cause I never cared, but they were like one of the bands from that era. It, it was, it was like before furnace fest, the first, furnace it was fest. like the, the furnace fest, like pre-show pre-show. In Nashville whatever. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Cause like, uh, mutually assured destruction and, uh, um dare and one yep. step closer all played too um i watched a lot of that it was, live stream <laughs> dude, dude it was yeah. in like a fucking gravel pit it was in a yeah. gravel parking lot like i've never moshed like that before i <laughs> felt very very weird I, I did one stage dive during terror and then uh i walked straight to ash and i said we're leaving right now because if i go up and dive again i'm going to fall on my head in a gravel parking lot <sighs> And I know that if I don't leave right now, after I got away with one, I'm going to go up there and I'm going to test my luck. So we're leaving in the middle of terror right now because, well, it was like the end. <laughs> yeah, it was yeah, like, yeah. they had like, like they were playing keepers of faith while we were walking in the car. Uh, but I was like, I, I can't, I, I can't, if I, if I spend one more second here, I'm going to end up jumping off that stage again and it's not going to go well next time. Yeah. So I, uh, it's so but, funny, um, man. But yeah, no, it was uh, it was sick. Uh, I was never really a Love Is Red fan. Um, the dude from Love Is Red was in that band, Depression, mm. with um, uh, I think Champ from Foundation. From Foundation, that. yep, that's right. And uh, I have a uh, Depression tattoo on my chest. Dude, I didn't realize that. Yeah, yeah. There's, I mean, the, it's... Uh, I've got a wolf, and it says Unloved underneath of it. Dude, fuck yeah. yes! <laughs> I didn't realize that. I mean, I could. This is so cool because it's you know us talking about this too. It makes me want to like the 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 southern hardcore family tree is like what yeah. i'm putting together in my head because mm-hmm. i'm like yep and you know uh the pre-foundation band instilled and my old band that was then played instilled was played so a, good yeah man like we played a bunch of shows with instilled fuck like this you kind of, yeah like i never got to see them fuck you yeah man i still i literally was like reorganizing my seven inches the other day and uh unfinished business it's the um, best seven inch. So good. Like got that out and gave it a spin for the first time in forever. But I can't, uh, a, a few of the dudes who would, you know, later be in foundation were in that band. Um, yeah. Just killer Atlanta hardcore. Um, but like, yeah, it's so as all those things are connected and all the people, I mean, you, you could make other Roger from love is red later. Good friend of mine later moved to Seattle and played bass for trial. Like, you know, there's, there's so many like connections awesome. and stuff there. And the whole time, the drummer is right there. And that's Steve Earl's nephew. And that's so cool. So like, yeah, I definitely wanted to make sure because the, the, the hardcore connection is not just between me and you, like it's, it's here. And it yeah. also made me curious. I, I actually don't know this. I wonder if Steve ever went to a hardcore show. Like I wonder yeah, I if he know. ever went to see any of his nephew's yeah. bands. It, like I'm genuinely I mean, curious. It's he not, likes a lot of music, so it's not out of the, yeah, the possibility. I could yeah. see him being in Nashville at a, at a time and like Kyle has a show and him being like, yeah, let me go see my nephew play, you know? Um, so, and then, you know, most of the kids there who aren't like total weirdos like us, like not knowing who that dude is and just thinking like, oh, that's somebody's like dad or uncle. Right. Yep. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, man. The other thing about this song, in addition to just being, you know, cool, really prominently featuring Stacey Earle's vocals um, and just being so good is the the melody is so upbeat and catchy. 
Yeah, I said I've I've got that written down too. (laughs) Right. But that it like creates this interesting like dichotomy with how sketchy the lyrics are, you know, because it's basically the the lyrics are kind of like, look, I'll tell you whatever you want to hear. I'll promise you anything, regardless of whether or not I can actually deliver on any of that stuff. I'm like, nope, like I don't, I don't have to show you that my intentions are golden. I don't have to tell you where we're going. You just gotta, you just gotta come with me, you know, like I'll, what do you need to hear to stay with me and to come with me? So there's kind of like a sketchy desperation. Yeah, true. True. I've I've honestly never really, I've heard the song. I know the lyrics, but I've never taken them that way because I've never, I always hear it in the context of this sweet song. Right. So literally in preparing for this episode was the first time I ever really kind of like notice like yeah the lyrics on their own um i yeah i also never just kind of like read them for what they are because it's it sounds like a love song and it's kind of yeah. like it's not really a love song you know what i mean yeah. um but yeah this is just a just a killer track um yeah and- i like i some of the things i wrote like they're the vocal patterns in the song are really interesting um it is just such an upbeat song and the riff is really catchy um and I also wrote the snare again. <laughs> Dude, the snare, that must, maybe that's part of the Joe Hardy touch was like getting maybe. that snare sound, you know? I don't know. Dude, it's just, it, it, it's, it's, I don't know. I, I, I really like this song mm-hmm. and I think it's, um, it's a testament to how strong it is because when he gets upbeat like this, he kind of loses me sometimes because I think it's kind of, I think his cornier songs yeah. are the songs that have this kind of sentiment or this kind of, uh, emotion behind him and maybe it is because they're i've just oh i've i've i subliminally got like heard the sketchiness of it <laughs> and it was like and it never hit me the way where some of the, some of the cornier upbeat songs do um maybe that was subliminally hitting me and that's why i've always liked it but yeah i always have liked the song and even though it, it typically when he goes in this realm i uh i walk away yeah. Or, or skip or think about it <laughs> for sure. The, yeah. I, I agree with you. The times that he ventures that it gets a little corny tends to be this type of song. Um, yeah. I remember how proud of myself I was when I first just figured out that incredibly simple, but amazing guitar melody. The mm-hmm. I probably had a year where like, that's all I ever sound checked with, no matter what I was like playing just because it's so, it's just that's so, so damn catchy. It's just catchy. That's awesome. You know, um, that's fucking awesome. So yeah, man, it's a, just a, just a great song. Um, so track three is Esmeralda's Hollywood. I I'll say this is one of the two that I would skip if really, yeah, not one of your, Oh shit. I love this song. Okay. Well then I love this song. Tell tell me. I think it's so fucking heavy, dude. I think it's such a badass intro. Um, like the way the acoustic and the bass drum like line up going in and then that snare crack into the track. Like it's another song that just, it like, just, I don't know, like something about how that acoustic comes in with just the bass, just the kick drum. And then just uh, one of the things I like, I I think the song has a ton of attitude. I think it's super minimalist through most of it It until it bangs in and then um, that electric guitar comes in at the end and just fucking shreds. And the I like the Crazy violin, violin outro too. So, yeah, yeah, dude. And the lyrics are fucking hard. It is hard. 
The no, lyrics are fucking hard. This is a hard ass song. I'll tell you exactly what I wrote. And then you can respond to this. Cause I agree with okay. a lot of it, but it's like, I go back and forth between thinking this song is cheesy and loving it. The slow brooding beat is undeniable as well as the guitar hook and really haunting violin parts. It's not as strong as the first two tracks, but I like it. Maybe for me, part of the problem is that it doesn't need to be six minutes long. Yeah. You know what? I can, I can, I can give you that because that last two and a half minutes or so is kind of just jam. Yeah. Um, which, you know, shave that off and this record comes closer to 50 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> um, long, but, uh, but there's there is a song on here that I think is way way too repetitive, rather than this song that I fucking love. Got it. I fucking love this song. I mean, no, I, I don't think I always did either. I'm appreciating too, though the just like you use the word attitude. I totally agree with that, right? Because it's just like, it, you know, the yeah, it's like it's heavy. It's slow brooding, like one of the few songs that's like percussion driven which is yeah. not something that you usually see in country music you know um but like the other everything else has its part and i and i do also appreciate like the violin shit it's like he's doing something weird and mm -hmm. this is a genre of music that tends to avoid weird at oh, all yeah. costs you know what i mean so that's another sign of him like taking the creative license and being like i'm putting this like yeah, we're doing a violin part, but it's not going to be like a standard bluegrass thing. It's going to mm -hmm. be this like haunting, like kind of like dissonant. You know, well, like there's outro. a heavy guitar, electric guitar. Yeah. Like into it too. Like it's electric guitar, like, like shredding into violin, like haunting outro. Like yeah. it's, um, and I think I, you know what, you know what I think it is. It's, um, what, what turned me on to Esmeralda's Hollywood, I think is there's a record where he takes way more risks on later um in jerusalem yeah it didn't get me at all mm. i breezed over that record now it is one of my favorite steve Earl records interesting and i think okay. i hear in esmeralda's hollywood things he will revisit on jerusalem yeah where he is taking a lot of risks and getting really experimental with a lot of different sounds and uh and instruments and in in implementations of uh of them and uh yeah i mean i i fucking i love esmeralda's hollywood dude i i i, I wouldn't i would lose i would lose three or four other songs in this record before i lost that one you make a very convincing case tyler i might need to reevaluate some of that but, but yeah, i'm here so for this, man i mean that's and like i said to be clear though even though this is one that i would if i had to consider cutting that is for me, just it being about like, I just like the other stuff better. I don't think there is a bad song on this record. I think there are some that aren't as strong as others. Um, yeah, I mean, that's that's me too. And, and yeah. one of them I even kind of started to come around to, but I don't think I'm around to it all the way yet. All the way. Where I'm Got on it. board. I still, I still, if you gun to my head said pick two, I'd say, yeah, I can pick these two really quick. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm excited to get to them. Um, let's keep it going. Hopeless Romantics. Hopeless Romantics. Um, what's, what's your take on this one? Very Steve song. Yes. Yes. I wrote, this is a damn good, catchy song. 
not ever one of the songs I think of is one of my all time favorite tracks, but every time I hear it, I'm just like, this is a damn good Steve Earle song. And the line that always like sticks, you know, Steve's little one-liners that, that always get me nowadays, everyone knows it's cool to be blue. Mm -hmm. Um, I love that. Dude, that's such a fucking like that's such a ahead of its time line because that is so applicable to like us going through like the Tumblr phase yeah. of culture where everybody like self-diagnosed themselves with like a mental disorder because like that was just like I I I, I listen I watched a, or I, I listened to a podcast that talked about how um TikTok convinced a bunch of people that they had Tourette's. That they have Tourette's, that they have autism, <laughs> that they have ADHD. Yeah. Like, yeah, totally. But like we've like we, we can be conditioned socially into thinking things are wrong with us that aren't actually wrong with us. Totally. Because there's such a need for us as people to feel like we fit in that because certain thought leaders decide that this is the current cool thing or or some, you know, sex symbol at the time makes it seem like this is the way right. in which is so, I mean, sex drives so much of uh, what we do, like, as a society, like, so many, uh, so many people just do, like, some positive things, but of course, some horribly <laughs> destructive things in the pursuit of just what they think is going to be attractive to another person. <laughs> oh, yeah. And then and then there's the retraction of the people who are like, well, you know what, I can just do without it. And I'm and I'm volunteering to do without this. And it's like, yeah, sure you are, man. <laughs> but you no, know, that the, the constant, the back and forth, we are always responding to sex, yes. even if we're responding negatively. Yes. Like that is like you're either embracing pursuing or running away from it but it is still the the thing that you are reacting to right yeah no um, and i like i wrote down like very clever lyrics on this song and like that totally. one is one that comes to mind because that is such a fucking critique perfect right <laughs> well and you i think you're spot on with mentioning you know like tumblr tiktok like things like that i'm thinking about like even before that so this was 1990 one year later nirvana breaks you know what I mean? And, and this was a much shorter period of time, but like the, the grunge thing where at in, you know, all these bands that were called Chad and I actually were talking about this, like all the bands that were called grunge bands actually sounded very different from one another. Oh but what, yeah. But what they had in common was that they were hard rock bands from the Pacific Northwest that weren't hair metal bands and yep. were, you know, making popular music that wasn't afraid to explore and some might say glorify certain aspects of like depression and things like that. And you write what you know, yeah. though. Yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> exactly you write what you know. And, 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 and I mean, dude, mm -hmm. I mean, and to like, like I, uh, um, like, I can't lie. Like I was in, um, I was in McDonald's in the middle of the night after, uh, after an overnight shift and, uh, poison nothing. Uh, nothing but a good time comes on and I'm like hell yeah yeah I'm like yeah the song fucking rules but like I totally like see where like there's a bunch of people who were like this sucks it has to be the I'm gonna do different right I mean that's totally like it, it wasn't gonna go on forever like no also just because yeah there's this like if the the reality of my life is not nothing but a good time the reality of my life is working an overnight shift and being at McDonald's <laughs> really <laughs> you know what i mean so it's fun yeah. to it's fun to you know sometimes we look to art 
for fantasy, mm-hmm. but sometimes we want art to reflect a reality that we know. Um, yep. And I think that's like totally explains it. Cause like, I, and that's the thing too, like, you know, you mentioning like, write what you know and all that. I think that's so brilliant because it's like, it goes all this. When you think about popular music, you know, over the last, like, you know, however many decades, right. That period of like, <clears throat> you know, sad and pissed off is cool. No, like happy and positive is cool. You know what I mean? And it's like, kind of, we see the same thing in hardcore. You know what I mean? Yeah. We see this, this between like, you know, bands keep doing their thing. And I love to be clear. I love shit that spans from the hyper negative to the like super affirming and positive. Right. But like, Me too. you tend to see these phases though, where like pissed off misanthropic bands are like, kind of like more popular. And I was like joking <laughs> with a buddy the other day, we were talking about turnstile and how much one we fucking love turnstile, even as they like, grow, grow, grow in popularity. But I was like, you know what? I think if I'd had turnstile when I was a teenager, I would have probably had a lot better self-esteem. And I was like, yeah, instead of turnstile, I had like, you know, fat dudes in mesh shorts calling me a pussy for not hitting, you know, my friends hard enough. And I was like, that does, I was like, both of these things in different ways have played very important parts in my development over time. But it is just interesting how like, we go through phases like of what's popular and hell I even go through phases of like what I want to hear at a given. No, for sure. There's days that I don't want to hear anything poppy. I want to hear pissed off shit. And then there's days when I'm like, no, I need some energy, you know? Um, And so dude, just that reflection of like, I almost interpreted that as like Steve being like, yo, I'm fucking blue all the time, man. Yeah. Nowadays, people now it's, cool. it's cool for y'all to be this <laughs> yeah, now. Yeah, exactly. Dude, exactly. Uh, not to get off track again, but uh, I did see Turnstile uh, a couple weeks ago Yeah, uh, play one of the bigger venues in, in Louisville. And it, dude, fucking, like, what a thing. <laughs> Incredible. Like, what there's a just, thing. You know what? It's, they say it on the record, and it's true. You really got to see it live to get it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, the, dude, they, it's 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 crazy i like i uh we um yeah we we got to hang out with greg from to who's playing guitar uh yeah 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 afterwards uh and talk to him for like a fucking hour it was really nice catching up with him because i i speaking of earlier talking about love is red the last time i saw him was he was filling in for terror on that that tour that's um, right yeah and i saw i saw him uh there and that was the last time i saw him so i hadn't seen him for like a whole year and i used to see take offense like once every you know two or three months like they right. either play louisville or stay uh here all the time because we had a really good relationship with them and they're from um, what, san diego out there yeah, san diego. That, yeah, yeah or right. um chula vista chula, but, yeah southern california yeah. yeah yeah um but uh it was really good seeing him and man yeah, dude man. but just but uh, yeah i i uh uh, we, we had this moment like so when we were outside the show um, I was trying to find him because he's like the out of everybody in turnstile like I you know remember like Franz kind of knew me from as a kid who bought a trapped under ice shirt a lot and yeah. <laughs> uh, and um, Defang is like you know not really the most uh, you know outwardly you know talkative guy ever but like in all of his bands I was always either better friends with Phil from Sacred Love or Andy right. from Praise 
Um, so I'd always talk to them and, you know, Defang was just like, yeah, Hey. So I like, I like said, Hey, to, to Defang. And I was like, I was like, yo, I was like, where's Greg? I'm trying to find him for it. Cause we were trying to leave. I, uh, I gave Alex, um, who does LDB fest. Um, I gave her a ride to the show and I needed to take her home yeah. and then drive all the way across home or town to my house. Um, so I was trying to get out of there. And then of course we ended up linking up with Greg and hanging out for an hour. Um, but, uh, so Defang and um fuck their guitar player I I met him um I I I I'm blanking on his name right now he's so nice um the other the other guitar player they walk over and then the kids swarmed over and then all of a sudden I was like oh no I just alerted like 20 kids outside the show that like oh, you guys oh. were over here and then I just kind of walked away <laughs> and then they're just you know signing and stuff and like being talked to and then finally greg comes over and starts talking to us and then all the kids who when uh when they went away the kids kind of migrated over to these barricades and they're waiting for the band yeah they're waiting for the band to like come out and say hi and there's like 30 or 40 kids over there like talking and um uh me and you know me and colin who uh who does ldb fest too and um i'm trying to remember who else was with us uh but me and alex and colin and um and Greg are all talking. There might have been somebody else there. Uh, oh, Jim, uh, who plays guitar in Two Witnesses, and his wife. Mm. Uh, so we're all we're all hanging out, and um, we're we're talking for like thirty minutes or so. And I go, Greg, have you realized none of those kids care that you're over here? That's so funny. <laughs> He's like, yeah, dude, nobody gives a shit. It was it's, so fucking funny. It's really funny. Um, Pat is the other guitar player. Pat, right? yeah, dude, he's so nice. Yeah, uh, so I. Uh, I even told him straight up. I was like, I was like, yo, I was like, cause I was, I got a copy of the, um, the new record at the show. And, um, I was like, yo, I was like, you guys did a fucking hell of a job with this record. And I told him straight up, I was like, time and space didn't care for it at all. This, this thing though, it's the closest thing to bad brains since bad brains. I was like, I was like straight up. I was like, it's it, in it. And that is in every way whatsoever. I, I agree. Like, the weird, the pop, the upbeat, the 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 kind of spacey, like some of those songs are the closest thing to Eigen's that I've ever heard. I agree. And I mean, you're thinking about that, right? And the the energy of Bad Brains, right? And the energy that Turnstile yes. has always brought ever since you know, the first times I saw them, um, got to play with them once, you know, um, when I was filling in for the wrong side. God, eight years ago. I didn't now. know you did that. That's awesome. One, once. Um, and I, I mean, some people say that I'm the best bass player that the wrong side ever had because I actually. I didn't see it. Um, I'd say you weren't too. <laughs> but it, just for one show, um, shout out Morgato, um, who, live, by the way, all lives uh, down the street from my in-laws. And I always joke that I'm like going to like try to get them to link up because I really want like Morgato at like a big like Indian family party and just like so we can do that um but you know I'm gonna make it happen at some point this year um but like like they've always been a super energetic band right and mm -hmm. in a hardcore space it's like well fuck yeah and it fits I've seen so many bands over the years that play hardcore not the same way that Turnstile does but hardcore bands getting on that big of a stage and it just doesn't work. And that's not about their talent or the quality Truly. of their music. It's just like this, 
this was not designed for this size of a room, you know? I couldn't but, do that. Oh, me neither. But <laughs> turnstile, like the way that they adapt and it's like they can take these same songs and make them feel perfect in a, you know, 300 kids crammed together at a hardcore show and 6,000, 10,000 kids in, you know, a huge theater or, you know, what's coming next, an arena when yep. you go out with Blink-182. Um, so like, it, it's, it's just another testament, both obviously to their immense talent, but like, it is a special thing, not just to have a fucking killer record, killer songs, be great performers, but to be that adaptable, like to be able to put on a fucking show, like a, like a concert, mm -hmm. but it still not feel cheesy. You know, no, like dude. It, it's, it's I mean, a, they ended yeah. with TLC. They ended with yeah. a fucking breakdown. Like, that's fuck. right. They right. got a bunch of fucking like normal, like borderline people to fucking jump around and go that's off for a fucking punk breakdown. Last song. I'm so like, as they were, as they were closing and they were playing some of the bigger, like the bigger songs of the new record uh, from open, they opened with holiday and they played, um, uh, fucking mystery like yeah you know, close to the end of the set i was like well what the fuck are they gonna end on and they right. end on tlc and i'm like all right go perfect. off <laughs> perfect and you just like it gives me chills not just because that's so cool but like you're literally you are witnessing the gateway for future hardcore kids there like that's yeah that turnstile for them is going to be what like a rancid was for me or like something like yeah. that you know like okay i love this band i don't know shit about punk or hardcore but I'm going to like look and learn and be like, oh, he was in this band. They were in this mm -hmm. band. What is this? What is this? And the next thing you know, your 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 life is ruined, just like ours are. Welcome. Yep. <laughs> yep. Welcome to the party, pal. <laughs> so, but I, it's, it's just fucking, we're seeing something that like in turnstile that we've never fucking seen before um, in, in, in our, you know, even for all the other bands that we've had that have like gotten Blown popular out. and it, it just fucking, rules like i know it's absolutely great i love i can't say enough good things about that band about what they're doing and also like you know i didn't know that you were tight with greg i've never had the opportunity to talk with him but like guitar player to guitar player he's just fucking shreds he rules he's unreal dude like it's i don't it's know like, anything about anything i know he's a yeah, really good guitar player but that's the thing there's a reason why he's gotten called on to fill in for all of these like you know big important bands it's because you two things got to be true one you've got to be cool like people have to want to yep. hang out with you <laughs> and bring you on the road with them and two you've got to be like a super competent musician because if you're a fill-in you need to be up there like killing it and mm -hmm. um i mean i'm my understanding is is that he's like full-time in the band now yep. which you know props to him for that and so i'll be i'll be excited for whatever comes next with with him as part of the you know songwriting too me fucking too yeah man let's fucking pull it back to uh let's pull record, it back to though. steve i think i think yeah, uh, do you have anything else on helpless romantics i have one more thing that i thought about this song no go for it this song could have easily fit on guitar town or exit zero i agree with that yeah i think i think that that was one of the things i was like hearing i was like i was like damn this could have easily been on either of those records and i think that's my because there's a lot of songs that are a departure from uh guitar town and exit zero and more into that heaviness that he explored in copperhead road and even pushes on this record even right. harder 
but there are still like nods back to his previous uh you know his you know freshman and sophomore records i that, totally um, feel that yeah but i uh i definitely like feel like there's a lot of like exploration he does in this record and some in esmeralda's hollywood and the other kind but then in some other songs in this record as well i totally so, agree um, and you mentioning that just as one last thought on hopeless romantics because mm -hmm. it's not just like stylistically and and melodically it could fit in with some of the other stuff but it's like it's a compact song it's under three minutes yep. which which used you know in the earlier stuff is more of the norm um yep. than the exception whereas as he's you know pushing and experimenting more on this record and moving forward you're seeing a lot more of the longer stuff and you know some of which i think fucking hits and some of it doesn't but like i totally agree with that sentiment that this this song could have fit on one of the earlier records that's a yeah, great point i think it's translatable for sure but yeah, yeah this highway's mine road roadmaster this is a rocker um this is my skipper this is your skipper <laughs> okay well let me let me tell you my yeah. here's my take make make, make the pitch I'm not, it's not going to be as strong of a pitch as you made. Okay. It's not a time. skipper, but it's, well, it's skippable. I understand what you mean. I yep. wrote a real rocker. What I love is how this one goes from that, like offbeat time signature in the verse to like picking up and like a, to be in just like a, a total rocker in the chorus. Yeah. I can hear um, that. The other thing too, is, I mean, there are countless great, Steve lyrics to talk about. Um, so it doesn't stick out there, but th this whole one verse, I, I like copied and pasted just because I love it so much. I used to run the cocaine. I used to run the weed. These days I'm just running, trying to make this highway bleed. Sometimes the only difference between me and this machine is I run on desperation. She runs on gasoline. Fuck you, man. That's so good. It's a great, um, it's a great, it's a, it's a great hard lyric. It's, it's, yeah. it, but, 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 so much of this record is this highway. That's true. This I'll, I'll highway. I'll give you that. Over and over again. Like th this is what I've got. I said, this song is a ripper, but it has never moved me too much. I think it's too repetitive, but parts of it certainly rip on their own. I just think the amalgamation bores me a little. I can hear that. And, you know, maybe it's even though I'm, I'm like checking the links now, you know, you the, the talking that transition from the the offbeat to the the driving yeah that part fucking rocks and i hear that and i'm like yeah and then he starts saying this highway over and over again and i'm like okay well, i need a little more substance here and it was surprising though too to see because i even i would acknowledge as someone who likes the song but i think it's repetitive it's it's 354 um because like i was like oh esmeralda's hollywood is too long but they're doing a lot of like interesting experimental stuff at the end. That's six minutes. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, this, this one manages to feel repetitive, even though it doesn't break four. Um, yeah. But maybe if it was two yeah, or two thirty, it wouldn't go on long enough for me to be like, eh. but I think I, it just, it does a few, like, I think this is, I think songs like this are like a little bit of a sign that like maybe Joe Hardy was a little too comfortable with Steve. <laughs> I could see that. Yeah. Like yeah. no one in the room, like this is a uh, fucking uh, Hannibal Burris has the the joke about, you got to have, you know, somebody there to make sure you don't make whack tracks in the studio. Yeah. Yeah. And like, this is, I feel like the lack of like, I mean, this Steve's in the throes at this point in time. Like he is, he is hard in. He is hard in. 
so like i would i would see there being like like late nights not that many people around to mm -hmm. to feel like they can question some of the decisions he's making and um and obviously like he had a lot of people who enabled him around him to get him into the situations he got in but yeah I feel like this song, he was enabled into making it a minute longer than it needed to be. I mean, and maybe he actually just never finished the lyrics and they just like, yeah. there should have been something else along with this highway, this highway. Yeah, I um, think because I do think that part rips and I think a lot of the, this this song rips, but it just, it just never moved me. But it might be because it comes after, you know, catchy promised you anything and catchy hopeless romantics and yes. game changer, the other kind and heavy fucking unique esmeralda's hollywood for me and yeah. uh but yeah um that's all i really got for this one but you're you are absolutely right those lyrics are hard as fuck i hear that yeah i hear that but again even at like i like it to be clear though this is not one of my top tracks on the record um mm -hmm. but it but it's not a skipper for me either um i want to move on and talk about billy austin um, i do have one thing because yeah, i watched the me. music video for the first time before we uh watch this and i would like to talk about it before we uh because before we move into the song because i don't want to forget to say this and once we get into the the ness of this song i feel like we're going to talk for a minute yeah but uh watching the music video fucking xander berkeley from terminator 2 and walking dead and 24 is in this music video the guy who plays gregory in the walking dead the guy who's in charge of oh. hilltop is a coward and in 24, he's like one of the bureaucrat guys in the whatever Homeland Security or whatever the fuck Jack Bauer works for. I can't remember. I've only seen the first season of 24, yeah, but he's like sure. a weaselly little character in 24. But in T2, he's uh, he's um, John Connor. He's his guardian. Right. I can't remember who John Connor's with right now. It's like his aunt. Maybe I think it's his aunt and his uncle. Um, he's the one who gets fucking T1000, like gets him through the nose Yes, while he's like holding the milk. Um, but yeah, Xander Berkeley is, is in it and he's like a weasel in everything. And I was like, I was like, damn, I was like, what the fuck is that guy from? I was like, I know he's from a few things that I would like, I'm forgetting, but I did see he's in the Reagan biopic that's coming out. No shit. Which is for sure going to whitewash the fuck out of Reagan. I mean, because John fucking Voigt is in it. Well, there, that's all you need to know. Yeah, right? I was like, I was looking at it, like a uh, fucking John Voight's in it. Fucking um, uh, God damn it. Uh, Dennis Quaid is playing Reagan. Um, and I think Dennis Quaid's a little bit of a, a shithead. Um, but uh, Xander Berkeley is playing George Schultz, the famous idiot who uh, let Iran Contra, Contra happen under his nose and then proceeded to invest in Theranos later in life. A truly lifelong dipshit. Dude, truly god i and i was like and i was i saw that and i was like fuck i was like i usually like this guy in things well, but now i've got to now know that he's probably taking part in something that's going to paint reagan as like the great communicator or some yeah, bullshit I, I, I wouldn't be surprised at all and i just um, felt like it was worth mentioning that that's the guy in the billy austin video after the copperhead road record that is yeah <laughs> fuck very much a damnation on reagan's policies yeah. i mean copperhead so, you know. road record is a damnation of those policies he steve on a later track on this record makes a reference to trickle down and how it's bullshit yeah. you know um so like dude that's i didn't realize that well you know 
who who knows in 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 1990 uh this guy might I be guess. on a very different tip then right or maybe um, he just needed a job yeah or i was about to say he was like this was the dude that the agency sent that they could afford um to put in the video because i mean this is a song that is <clears throat> absolutely damning of the death penalty <laughs> yes i mean and this is at the earlier in this episode i referenced that there's a song on this record that changed my life this is that song really um, is this your favorite really song awesome. then uh, yeah like okay it's truly a song that i can't do without i don't i don't want to like put it on all the time you know it don't it don't mm, feel good no um, not at all so in that sense i would say you know like the other kind probably wins out but it is one of the most important Steve songs for me. So like quick story. Um, yeah. I had never really given much thought to, to capital punishment or the death penalty before. Um, and after hearing this song, I found myself joining uh, a group called the Tennessee coalition to abolish state killing. Um, and they had, you know, through a band from Memphis called Pez um, great punk band um, that's still around, but, you know, put some records out in the 90s on BYO. Um, so my friends, Ceylon Mooney, Marvin Stockwell, um, had done a release uh, of a seven inch that was a benefit for TCASC, Tennessee Coalition to Abolish State Killing. And at the same time that I was like seeing them do this and be like, okay, they are, yeah, I just, I'd never really thought about like should the state have this power you know over somebody uh and 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 had not even begun to learn everything about like the amount of one like truly innocent people that the state has executed um over the years but then also like how much more likely poor people black people brown people yes. are to get the death penalty uh you know, whereas others would get uh, a lighter sentence for, for similar, if not the same crimes. Um, and so like, I remember uh, there was a rally when the, the state of Tennessee was, this was at some point when I was in high school was, you know, going to execute someone for the first time in a long time. It was a person where there was, and still is serious doubt about their guilt. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and another one of those things where you go back and it's like people had recanted testimony and said that the cops pressured them prosecutor, you know, was up to sketchy stuff. Evidence was withheld. Jury was pressured, et cetera, et cetera. And nothing though was able to change as it went through this apparatus, because if you, you know, admitted like, Hey, this trial wasn't unfairly for the first time, then some very powerful people would need to be held to account. And they, are very invested in that not happening. So this person was set to um, to die. And we went to a rally and um, somebody, I wish I could remember who this was, but like um, just a, a local musician covered Billy Austin. That's like, awesome. Um, just as like kind of a, you know, here's a story. Here's an example of why, um, you know, even even if the per like the line in the song, like, you know, most of them are guilty, but who are you to say for sure? Yeah. Um, you know, there's, there's what, however many men here, most are black or brown and poor. Um, 
most of them are guilty, but who are you to say for sure? And just the, the other thing too, of like, you know, would you take that walk with me? Like when they shave off my hair, they take me down. And there was just something very like one, again, humanizing. And this makes me think about um, the foreword that you read from earlier mm -hmm. to this record that, that even people who have done heinous things or have been in their worst moments or the, like they're, there's still that humanity. And then just people also are people. people are people. And, and it, it allowed me to also just kind of understand like, none of this is saying that the shit that people have done are okay, but it yeah, is I mean, saying and it, he even says, he even says, I, I ain't about to tell you that I don't deserve that to I die. Don't deserve to, exactly. But it's more about yeah. like, what comes along with the state and all of the corruption that lies within it, having the the right to decide who lives and who dies um, based off of this. And so um, it was just such an interesting thing too, because like that, I, I say it changed my life because getting into anti-death penalty activism opened the door to lots of other types of activism through people I met. The mm -hmm. other interesting thing too was whenever we did TCASC stuff, um, it was always noteworthy because there would be like tons of Catholics there. And it was so fascinating because like a group of people who on yeah. vir virtually every other issue in the world, <laughs> like I disagreed with, but like, mm -hmm. you know, it, there'd be like nuns there who like took this whole right to life thing very literally. And although yep. I, I disagreed with a lot of their stances, whether it was on abortion or a lot of other things, they were some of the strongest advocates for ending capital punishment. Um, and so, yeah, uh, all that whole world opened up to me because of Billy Austin, because of this song and the, you know, the storytelling that Steve does through the lyrics. So, yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, dude, I, it's one of my favorite story songs he's ever written. Um, I think it's really visceral. Um, every word is perfect to present a picture of a kid who is like, just in such a, like a sad, desperate like situation. Yeah. Um, I think it's like the desperation is crafted in the song. Mm. Um, one of the things I, when I was looking, when I was looking up things about this song, uh, this song led him to writing a song for the Tim Robbins film, Dead Man Walking, which is about capital punishment. Mm -hmm. um, Ellis Unit One uh, is the song. And uh, I'm not familiar with it because I've never, I've never, I haven't yet to dig into the sidetracks record, yeah. which is B-sides and like um, songs he wrote like, between things that ended up being used in other things uh so i'm excited when we make it there yeah um and you know i i'm like very like like supportive of abolishing the death penalty but one thing i wrote is death penalty should be reserved for fascists <laughs> it's the only thing that that stops you from doing that is, yeah. is six feet of dirt that's what something me and my friend my, my co-worker talk about it all the time is when it comes to certain like like um uh, there's there's an untold amount of harm that could have been reserved if someone had killed Ken Henry Kissinger. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> when he was when he was 30 years old, like. <laughs> but see, the, the the point we're making, I agree with you there, but I agree with you on that, the point. That's a like, democratic killing. Exactly. Like it's <laughs> it's not me. It's like like I am, I am not anti all forms of violence. I'm not anti yeah. all forms of that. It's like I. I'm anti the state having that power. I because it'll always be inflicted on the people who are the most, you know, impoverished exactly. or vulnerable every oh, yeah. time. But fascism is coming. I agree. Yeah, and especially in a country that like, like hates poor people. Oh yeah, like it's gonna inflict as much harm on you as it can possibly, 
do. And, um, I mean, uh, that, um, that movie that we talked about last episode, the Amsterdam movie or whatever, mm-hmm. they even, um, make that a point at the end of that movie when, um, uh, like, Um, but yeah, in that, in that movie, Amsterdam that we talked about last episode, um, one of the things that happens at the end of the movie, when people are starting to get like caught up in the conspiracy is, uh, they, um, they say like, you know, so-and-so got caught and charged with whatever, but he, uh, he didn't stay away for too long because people in that, like people in certain socioeconomic, uh, status don't, uh, don't stay away for very long. Right. And yep. it's like, <clears throat> and it's like, yeah, like, um, uh, interesting enough that we're, we're doing this episode this week, um. Uh, John Oliver, the week that we were recording this, did uh, something on uh, like bail reform and oh. the, and and went into how many people are just in jails, not prison, just in jails because they can't afford bail. <laughs> exactly. Almost. Um, I mean, all over the country, but it's been uh, like, unconvicted, you, unconvicted, unconvicted people. And t- like, since COVID, their wait times for yep. trial have only increased mm-hmm. exponentially. Um, Rikers Island here in New York is, is pretty much full of, of those folks. Yeah. And he, within- he covers a guy who, uh, who just recently got out after, um, after being in for a really long time and he killed himself shortly after. Yep. Yep. And, um, and I guess they had like, they had, they, they had his story somewhere else in the show, but he killed himself before it got to air. So they moved his story to the end so they could, you know, say like, hey, this was supposed to be a part of the story. But now we're just saying it here because he killed himself. And And um, fuck, (laughs) you know, the and then even compounding that trauma and tragedy is like. He's one of many. Yeah, I mean, that's capital punishment, right? Like, I think, you know, there's that that happened recently. And then a few years ago, there was Khalif Browder, who was another person that was you know, brought in on chart. The charge was stealing a backpack, which again was like eventually dropped. He he didn't do it. He never did, but he and Wait, his family. This is, this is the kid. This is Khalif. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we're talking about the, the same person. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's a, there's a band here in New York. That's more like a, like a punk oi band um, called 45 adapters, but that like, you know, are around with all of us hardcore kids they wrote a song called they call it justice about Khalif Browder. Um, and yeah, family couldn't afford bail and mm-hmm. you know, the trauma that he went through during the time in Rikers um, after he was released, he wasn't the same killed himself. There've been several suicides on the Island this year. And I think it's both like, I'm glad John Oliver did that piece because New York only recently passed some type of bail reform, yep. right? I saw that. He he talks about that. Right. It just wasn't we, in time. <laughs> yeah, wasn't in time. And in this particular election cycle that's happening right now, um, the right- People are using it. Yep. Yeah. And to make yep. all sorts of, I mean, just things that are- That's, blatantly that's false. why he talked about it was right. because of how it's being used to, yeah. uh, to fear monger. They're painting it like, you know, somebody who murders someone in cold blood is just put right back out on the street. And that is not what this bail reform is doing. It's it's basically just saying like for nonviolent people who are picked up on something, 
whether or not you have to stay in jail until your trial should not just depend on whether you got money or not. And that's because that's what the bail system is, right? It's you're, yep. you're purchasing freedom um, mm-hmm. right there. It's so, just another tax. Uh, um, totally. But yeah, you, dude, but talking about this justice in Ontario. <laughs> can I say one more thing? Yeah. Not, not necessarily about Billy Austin, but you mentioned um, Ellis Unit One, um, mm. which is also a song I was unfamiliar with on um, the live at Cold Creek Correctional Facility video. Oh, does he play that song? He plays that song. Um, I can't wait to talk so about that, that one and yeah. watch that whenever. Yeah. So that'll be more like that's right around when I feel all right comes out in mm-hmm. the mid 90s. But um, yeah, that that was my introduction to that song was him playing it live in that video. Yeah, that's awesome. Right on. Um, but yeah, Justice in Ontario. Let's go. Um, this song absolutely rips. Um, I wrote and again, the fucking snare. Dude. Um, God, dude, <laughs> the snare. And then like, I learned shit. Like, you know, this, this is about real oh, yeah. things. Yeah. That it's happen, a real but... story. I, I, I yeah. read all about it. <laughs> it's the same. Like that. I wouldn't have and that. Well, one that I think for the first many years I listened to this song, I didn't ever like know about or look up, but like, um, you mentioned, you know, these are two like storytelling songs back to back. I mean, most of Steve's songs are storytelling, but like it, you know, very explicit storytelling songs, right? Yeah. The other thing that I thought of with this, you know, I agree with you, like it it sounds huge. It's, you know, like slow brooding. Um, I realized I had always thought, you know, the melody from this song reminds me of like a not corny Indian outlaw by Tim McGraw. And then I realized, I don't know if you're familiar with that. I'm song. not familiar with that. You're a better person for not being familiar with that song. Yeah. But then I realized this <laughs> came out, this came out before the Tim McGraw song. So Tim McGraw fucking ripped off Steve Earle. Dude, but like, this song is like an Irish folk song. Yes. Yes. Like that's a, one of the things I took away is like, like he, he wrote a heavy Irish folk song. Heavy Irish folk song. And yeah, the, actually now yeah. that I'm humming it, I'm like, that could be a hardcore song too. Um, <laughs> but like that, it's like that same riff, uh, you know, pop country dude, Tim McGraw used Feels a it. popular song later. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. That's um, amazing. Um, God. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think like, I wrote this song coming after Billy Austin. It's just perfect as well. I agree. Um, and one of the things I wrote is uh, the justice system in just about every country is fucked and twisted. And anyone who cries about the sanctity of law and order is either stupid or dishonest, which comes back to our ads that people are running right now. About. Oh, totally. <laughs> I mean, yeah, dude. About all this bullshit. All this bullshit. It's just like how, and you know, Democrats and Republicans alike in a contest for who can lick the boot the longest, you know? So, yeah. Um, my God. Yeah. I'm so ready for this shit to be over. Me um, even though it's, too, it's never over, even I though it's going to be bad. Also, it's going to be bad. It's going to be real bad. I just want to like watch jeopardy without yeah. seeing like 20 ads. Cause you know, my plan for the future is to get on jeopardy. So I've been practicing, you know, so that's, I mean, right. That's, that's you gotta have a dream, man. You gotta have a dream, you know, so I'm got to a dream. Got to work on memorizing like lakes and rivers and shit. Um, you know, we, it's, um, it is, we, we've entered like a little, um, Russian is out of town right now, my wife, but like, we had like a week straight while we were all feeling sick where like every night we 
just because we had no energy to do anything. If we could get the kid to go to sleep, we would watch Jeopardy and Wheel of Fortune. And I was like, so this is it. This is the end of our life. You guys are old now. That's it. But part of it was, I was like, oh, I realize why everybody, even if you're not watching fucking Fox News and bullshit like that, everybody like old person that watches this is insane because the ads they showed during it were just relentless. And I was like, yeah, I have thankfully been totally removed from all this bullshit you know, cause I'm usually watching something on streaming or doing yep. whatever, but it's like watching like a regular television show and seeing all that. I'm like, this is insane. And even yeah, every six or seven minutes commercials, fuck that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's worse now than it ever was too. When we were kids, it used to be it's... like, there was one before the show, one at the halfway mark and then one close to the end. And then sometimes you'd have the credits roll and then another right. commercial break. And at this moment, they're all either, it would literally two, only two types of ads, pharmaceuticals and mm-hmm. uh, midterm Blue election glass. ads. That's it. Yeah. Like insane. Um, anyway, but justice in Ontario, like, I mean, I, I, I will resist like, you know, basically just like reading the story the lyrics, because yeah. you need to, if, if you haven't, you need to listen to the song. It actually tells the story, but just knowing that like, this is real shit that also connects um, to something modern. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. No, it's so cool. And like, I love the idea that like, um, like what, uh, like what happened to the Irish black Donnelly's like they, um, like they were raising hell and doing fucking bad shit and fucking shit up. But like, they were just, you know, skating by yes. without ever facing any repercussions but then when something finally happened where everybody was just like no enough it was like maybe it wasn't them yeah yeah (laughs) like we're not saying like they didn't have it coming but like but like y'all just didn't even didn't even try them you just killed them right and the whole family too (laughs) the whole children included like that's so fucked like that's so so insanely dark and so fucked but like and then just to to turn it on to like and that was you know 100 years ago and then now this is still how we're like we're doing it but just legally that's right that's right fuck um yeah so this is i'm I'm in agreement with you this is just a fucking hard song great story i love it um yeah, it's just heavy, to... dude. It's such it's such a heavy song. Should we move on to Have Mercy? Yeah, dude. Uh, I wrote. Uh, I feel like this is our first heroin song, right? I think so. Yeah. Um, and I'll tell. I don't. The music in this song, you know, like heavily driven by this, like, doom, 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 ba 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 ba, like drum part. The drums sound great. Mm-hmm. The music is a little repetitive for me, but the the way that steve in this song in particular like paints this picture of like the human condition the things we do out of desperation yep and and framing it as all of these destructive behaviors are about searching for some type of mercy yeah um and that really hits i mean it hits home as someone who is you know a child of addicts that like who has gone between feeling 
anger at them and then deep like compassion for them and all those complicated emotions that come with that. Um, that shit really hits home, you know, and, and, and like there's a truth to it, but that in the moment, it's often like hard to see. Like, I bet there were a lot of times when Steve was using that he was not a pleasant person to be around at all. Right. Oh, for sure, um, man. But it's like the thing you can, all those things can be true is I could say like, fuck, I didn't like you when you were using, like, I'm really talking to like my mom here. Right. <laughs> I didn't like you when you were using, but I also recognize that like, this is an act of desperation for someone who is sick and looking for mercy and just not able to find it in, in something healthy. And so, um, <clears throat> yeah, it, it, the, each verse kind of like tells a different person's story. Yeah, dude. It's so cool. It's yeah. such a good, like, dude, like, and I love the, uh, I love the line, um, ain't, not, ain't but one reason for a white boy would be over on this side of town. Like that's such a, yeah. Like, and it, there's, there's a story on a later, uh, on a later record that we're getting to, uh, soon that is very, I feel like a, almost a spiritual sequel or a sequel straight out to, uh, to have mercy. But one of the things that I wrote about this is, um, uh, I'm very straight edge, but I fully get why people want and need to not out on life. Um, yeah. It's fucking hard and hopeless and really fucking sucks sometimes. Dude. Like I get it. Like, I get it. and, but dude, just also <laughs> like, just, but you know, the, the, the heroin aspect, but then the suicide aspect too, like, yeah, is like, like um, one of the, like one of the things that I think um, like, I like hearing, I like hearing discourse on both sides of the suicide um, topic, Be like uh, Aram and uh, who sings in change when we mm. were in Canada, he gave a, a, a really long like youth crew ish speech about, you know, being, you know, like what, if you're thinking about it, like at least reach out and tell somebody mm -hmm. how you're feeling like because because once you make that decision you can't undo it but then again band like end it <laughs> or uh, akil will talk and say you know if you don't want to fucking live anymore fucking who's who's anyone to say like what the right thing for you to do is yeah. if you feel like that's that's right and, and one thing i also wrote is uh the justin town song uh who am i to say like who comes to, to mind say? when i hear this song <clears throat> it's it's so it's like and that's and i think that's um it's been really annoying for me, um, like not to get, not to make this song about, you know, abuse and depression and, you know, seeing no way out about me, but, uh, um, like reading reviews or people's opinions on, um, the inclination record or inclination in general, um, and calling us like hardliners and like saying like things like, or like saying, saying like putting, putting thoughts and, and, uh, words that I've never said or, or, or expressed um you know out in the world like it's you know fact and i actually like am probably the least <laughs> amongst my bandmates uh, when it comes to feelings on like being compassionate for people who are in the throes of addiction and right on and and i wasn't always yeah but things like you know <clears throat> you know songs like this like i mean to be honest like that justin song which maybe at some point we'll go through all of Justin's records with this yeah. podcast. Uh, um, 
that Justin song moved me on on this totally because it was spoken in a very like just matter of factly like way that I and I don't know it just it connected with me that that I have even if I didn't have that view at the time it alerted me that my view has shifted totally <clears throat> sometimes you've changed yeah. and you haven't realized it until something brings it to your attention that you've moved <laughs> to, right and and I mean to to the point that you're making as like you know like a, a straight edge person who is you know turning 40 next month like I it's finding that they're like I'm at a point in my life too where there are people I know who have really struggled with addiction that I relate to better than I relate to some straight edge people. Um, because like my decision to not use actually came from a similar place of desperation. Like, I don't think I would have been straight edge if I didn't grow up in a household where there was a lot of drug and alcohol yeah. use. Um, <clears throat> and I also like recognize that I could have just as easily just continued the cycle. And when I was a, a young teenager, before I got into hardcore, I was very much on that pathway, you know? Um, and thankfully just like didn't particularly enjoy it enough. So when I found other people that I was like, they're cool and they don't do this shit. Oh, I needed somebody fucking cool and hard that like didn't use, you know what yeah. I mean? And that's, you know, that's why it's like, I'm, will always, as much as like, there's so much corny straight edge shit out there will be one of the people who's like, it saved my life. Straight edge absolutely saved my life. But to that point too, I'm, I haven't read any of the reviews. Um, and I would encourage you to stop reading reviews of your <laughs> records. But, um, <laughs> that said, that said, I, dude, that pisses me off. Cause I've encountered like so much of that, like the assumption that if you choose to abstain, you must therefore support X, Y, and Z. And it's like, mm -hmm. no, I fucking hate drugs. And I also know that locking people up who use drugs is bullshit, you know, yes. like things like that. Like, no, I, you got to understand that there is like, yeah, I, I have progressed beyond to your point, like a very like good guys, bad guys view of like, you know, mm -hmm. drugs that I think, had frankly less to do with hardcore and more to do with just like fucking Nancy Reagan and how yep. that shit was like presented to us. You know what I mean? Um, Cause there are actually very few bands. Cause like we talk about hardline, right? In the history of hardcore and even straight edge hardcore hardline, it was like this much of a blip yep. of anything. Yep. And I can say that cause I'm from fucking Memphis where rave mm -hmm. is from, you know what I mean? And where, I mean, Brian Venable, the guitar player from Lucero, has a Stomp Crew tattoo because he yep. ran around with Raid back in the day. Mm -hmm. He rules, by the way. Talk to him if you ever get a chance. Um, he always like, wears a Coliseum shirt when they play Louisville. That's awesome. Yeah, he's yeah. He, and he worked at Last Chance Records in Memphis and sold me some of my earliest hardcore records and always shared his opinions, even if whether or not I agreed with them. But in like a fucking awesome, you know, Big Brother kind That's of way awesome. uh which rules um but anyway all that said like it is just funny how like the reputation of like a of, of a 
hardliner who, who, who comes at drugs from like a, like a morality policing perspective Mm -hmm. um, is this stereotype that people have about straight edge people when it's actually in the history of straight edge and hardcore very few bands and yeah. like have actually and for a very short amount for a of very time. short time yeah most other people who are straight edge have either a much more nuanced views and in other ways like much more like i've probably met more straight edge people who are like well even though i fucking hate drugs they should be legal than i have people that like drink and do shit like that to think it you yep. know like so um i'm just i'm saying all that to just say like one, I feel for you having people like misinterpret your shit like that, or or not even misinterpret, project what they're doing yeah. is projecting onto you and the meaning of your songs. Um, but also like Steve is such a good example for anyone, whether you've never done a drug or taken a drink in your life, or you are someone who has also struggled with substance abuse to like humanize all of this and doing it yes. in, in songs and stories. Um I'm rambling now, but you reminded me of one other thing, kind of contrasting no, you're a, good. a ram with end it. Um, you also remind me of like um, the tragedy song, Confessions of a Suicide Advocate. Are you familiar with yeah. that one? Yeah, I, just, I, I haven't heard it in a really long time, yeah. but yeah. But just the line of like, you can die at their hands, but not at your own. Yeah. Suicide is not an option. It's illegal and punishable by death. Suicide yeah. is not an option. Like the irony of like- <laughs> Yeah, you're you're allowed. They can kill you, but you can't take control mm-hmm. of that yourself, right? Yep. Yep. You have to stay on this planet and work and be mm-hmm. and be extracted from until you no longer serve any any purpose. Yeah. I... Yeah. Yeah, it's gross. Um, when the people find out. Yeah. So, I don't love this song. I love this song. But can I tell you one thing? <laughs> I love thinking about the chorus, like like it's the chorus of a hardcore song. Mm-hmm. Where are you going to run to? Where are you going to hide? <laughs> so I like I've always imagined yeah. it that way. Yeah. Oh yeah. No. No. It's it's definitely a hard line, but the way yeah. it's delivered in this song, it's delivered in almost a, a church. It's uh, yeah. It's like there's a, a, a gospel gospel yeah. choir. A gospel choir. Yeah. 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 But um, this is my second favorite song on the record. No actually. shit. Yeah, this is. Yep. Uh, I don't like this song very much. Yeah, I think this the <laughs> choir the choir makes it sound awesome. Um, I also realized that I was misinterpreting this song until this listen. I've always heard this song, and now hearing it in the context of remembering, like this is coming straight out of Have Mercy. I mm-hmm. think this song is more about addiction. I always heard this song oh. as being more directed at politicians. This is a personal song. That's I interpreted it as like a. This is song I think too. this is a song about addiction. <laughs> now I need to take a closer look. Yeah. So it's late at night. You're all alone. Pale moonlight, cold as stone. Heart beats fast. Time moves slow. Strangers glance. Does he know where are you gonna run to? Where are you gonna hide? When the people find out that you lied. Fuck. Yeah. No, you yeah. see, and that's my thing is I don't think I've ever really, really read or I've I've always heard those opening lyrics and I know some of them, but I think I've always thought of this as more of like a, you know, you're, you're cheating, you're doing, you know, you're corrupt, you're right, you're messing around, you're, you're fucking people over, like, where are you going to run to? But it's really, I think a song about like being 
lying to the people who are close to you and knowing that at a certain point, you're not going to have anybody around when they find out that you've been lying to them. Right. Oh, fuck. Yeah, I know, dude. It fucked me up, too, because I was like, damn, I love this song. And I was like, fuck, I've been misinterpreting this song and loving it. I've been doing the exact same thing. And I think it is because, like you said, it the, the chorus is so big and powerful, mm-hmm. and, you know, like like literally big gospel choir, big yep. that um, it's easy to just kind of like when I think of this song, I hear that. And I like, yeah. When I'm hearing this song, yeah. I'm thinking like, I'm like, oh yeah, he fucking hated Reagan. Like, I'm sure he wasn't happy with HW. Like, I'm sure like, you know, like I'm here this always as a political song. And really, realistically, like aside from, you know, Billy Austin just being like a song about the death penalty, which doesn't necessarily need to be political. It's more like a song about human rights right. than it is a song about politics. Um, he doesn't pull politics into this record very much at all not, not very much yeah there's... and uh and i think that's where i was looking for it because that's where i like that's that's i mean of all the records that are in my my top five list like most of them are the ones that lean heavily into the political stuff because that's mm. where i appreciate his mind and his uh, his point of view a lot that i think like on this record this you know being one that's so heavy and hard and and I like it and I and it's in it and it's always hit me and it's it definitely is one of my favorites. I think I attribute things to some of these songs that weren't wasn't there because that's where I mm. that's where I assume he's coming from and I was wrong. I was absolutely wrong with this song. Oh, that's fascinating. So are we projecting onto Steve Earl sometimes? We are. <laughs> it we sounds are. like we might but be, but yeah. but we still like it. We're not projecting on him as a way to hate him. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. I was projecting a more uh I was projecting a more like altruistic um idea onto this song than it's more a paranoia song. That's a yeah a personal paranoia song. Almost in the same way that it's like promise you anything sounds like an upbeat love song until mm-hmm. you realize that it's about somebody who's like full of shit, just trying to convince yep. a girl to like, <laughs> you know, which, fall. yeah, which coming straight across to when people find out it's like, yeah, like going from promise you anything to when the people find out it's like, well, fuck, like this song about lying to somebody telling them anything that, you know, you can get them to. And I like one, one thing I think I realized too, which reading this one in, in taking it in a different context where I've always heard it as a, as a, in the political context. Now I'm hearing it in more of the personal context. I'm like, well, fuck dude, I suck sometimes and I procrastinate. And this is how I feel when I procrastinate, yeah, especially yeah. when it's on someone else's shit. Like oh if God. I'm like busy and like, haven't like done an LDB thing or like filled an order form out or like, I've got like a bill to pay that like is like preventing someone's record from going forward. Yeah. And I'm like, like I wake up sometimes and I'm like sweating and I'm like, well, there's fucking nothing I can do right now. Right. But like, I feel like somebody's going to find out that like I'm, I'm dropping the ball, but like, this isn't my job. This is right. like something I do as a favor for people or like a hobby or like just yeah. to give back anything that I can to this, you know, this world and this scene. But like, sometimes I feel like I'm a liar. I feel like I'm lying saying like, oh yeah, everything's fine guys. And then like, I'm like shit, like your fucking bills sitting unpaid right now. Cause I'm waiting for somebody to buy more records or shirts so I can right. do that. Or I'm waiting to just have enough disposable income to say, all right, I'm just going to empty my bank account into this uh, record right now. Well, and it's, I appreciate you sharing that too. Cause it's interesting. Like it's that feeling of like guilt or like fear of being found out 
it's like thinking that's relatable over something where it's like, I can objectively look at that and go and like, dude, you're not doing anything dishonest or wrong there. Mm -hmm. But then at the same time, you know, like contrasting it with like kind of these examples of where Steve's coming from, where it's like, Hey, where were you last night, man? Oh, I had, uh, I had to work late when you were actually like, you know, spending your paycheck getting fucked yep. up, you know, like something mm -hmm. like that. Um, that's, you know, like truly destructive and causes you to have to like deceive the people you love, you know, to try to save face. Um, but like, we can all tap into that feeling, even if we've never done that particular thing. Right. Yeah. Um, fuck. Yeah. So if, so this song and Esmeralda's Hollywood, are those the songs you'd lose? Or are you, or are you thinking differently? Have I I'm talked thinking you differently. I, the, the one I would definitely lose is later. Um, is later? Yeah. Okay, cool, cool. Because we haven't gotten to, um, of, you know, this highway's mine, which I wouldn't lose the whole thing. I mm -hmm. would just make it more concise yeah. if I could. If I could get in there and edit. There's a little pencil edit button next to the song and I could just knock a minute off of it i would yeah you yeah know, definitely can keep that song but the song i would lose is later as well but okay uh, well let's keep you going move on to country girl yeah let's do country girl um i'll say this i i like country girl i don't love country girl i feel like from a musical perspective mm -hmm. he's trying to recreate snake oil not you know lyric what I Go ahead. I think I think he's recreating something else that you would have lost off another record. Oh, San Antonio Girl. It's the same DNA. It's the same DNA as San Antonio Girl. And you don't care I, for that song. I don't care for that song, but I do. I mean, I love Snake Oil, and obviously lyrically, this mm -hmm. is more of a San Antonio Girl than a than a yeah. Snake Oil. But like, even the whole like, not only is it like a boogie rock. Well, with track, Snake Oil, I mean, there's piano on it. Like, it's yep. it's got a lot of the same. Uh, skeletal structure but e skeletal structure and even down to the like improvised like spoken lines at the beginning like yeah. at the beginning of this he says turn on the juice cut the damn thing loose uh -huh. and, and it, it rem it's not exactly the same but it kind of reminds me of how he's kind of vamping at the beginning of snake yep. oil you know um mm -hmm. i mean that's my th it's a it's a it's a fun boogie i think it's a fun rocker, song you know but it's uh it's not one of my favorites but it's fun i agree with that yeah, I wrote, uh, I feel like this song is similar DNA as San Antonio Girl, but yep. rocks a lot more. Mm -hmm. uh, I said the piano on this track, yes. I yes. said the, <laughs> sass and, the sass in the vocals and guitar is sick as fuck too. Um, I, I, wrote, I think he's playing a lot in this song vocally and just having fun and you can tell. Yes, it feels fun. Like you said, fun both for the listener and for... Um, for the band for steven yeah it sounds live it sounds yeah. like a living song on this record um oh one the drums on this track are fucking killer i mean like i, I know totally we've been talking about this snare all fucking record but the whole of the drums on this record like rocks and i think that's one thing is like it sounds like he's hitting shit um but dude also like one of my favorite lyrics in this song is the uh the last line about how she sees the crazy bag lady or whatever and she basically has the realization like oh shit that could be me because i'm wild as fuck yeah totally <laughs> I, yeah. I, I, I i like that a lot it's a good yeah i, totally I think like it's that. i think it's that same dna as san antonio girl but i do think it rocks a lot more and i think it has some more substance to it to where like 
there's a reason why exit zero isn't in my top five and this one is mm, yep. and it's I because can... there are songs that could have translated to that record but they're just they're turned up they're more well thought out they're more unique they're more yeah. steve yeah they're cl more clever and they're more experimental and they're heavier so yeah. like there's there's a reason why this one's in my top five and i think it's because that the little like through lines and seeds that we can pull out of previous work and direct and plant in this record i think they just grew into something more special well said mm -hmm. i really appreciate that yeah yeah what do you think about regular guy this is my favorite song. <laughs> oh, that's what I knew. Yes. You I knew it, it. You knew it. Yeah. I guess you, you got it. You got me on this Dude, one. <laughs> I mean, I want to hear you, but I like, I'm immediately thinking this is the, the Pogues. This is the, the Oh yeah. The, the Zydeco, you know, the, the way mm -hmm. the accordion is used. Yep. It's that like Zydeco slash Pogues influence mm -hmm. and just a fucking working class sing along i mean yes. so i i god i, I love it so i want to hear dude. from you since this is your favorite but i i took a lot of the lyrics down that i just love and i bet we have some of the same ones oh i mean do, well i mean yo you you, you can do lyrics because i but i just i wrote i just love this song i'm just a regular guy and that's yeah. fine i don't feel the need to be anything extraordinary um i wrote the organ on this song um Lyrics are just perfect to me in every way. This is the working class that is left to its own devices by a political system that only sees them as cogs for corporate profit. This song is why I'm a radical. Like mm. I, I work with these guys and gals and I yeah. care about them immensely. Like yes. this is me at work having conversations with people that, that have no other option than to be where we're all at working. A lot of them are working paycheck to paycheck. Like, that just the dude i mean just everything about it like i mean you can go into lyrics and i'm just gonna say uh-huh yeah, yeah. <laughs> well i think in in the like 100 to all of that and i think there's a there's a little the nuance you know because i think so much of a story or at least in an american context is i'll never be rich i never got rich and steve saying like never got rich but i never tried Mm -hmm. Like, you know, and that's, I think, such a clear distinction because I'm like, yeah, I've never tried to be rich. I'm like, and I say this as a person, I work for an education nonprofit and I make more money now than I ever thought I would in my life. And that's still not nearly as much as if I decided I wanted to go to fucking business school or some shit, yep. you know, as a person who has the privilege of like being able to have a degree and got that choice. But like, yeah, I, you know, so I'm, I, 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 when I'm around people that are like in some kind of rat race and it's like for any reason other than like my family needs this money to, to like mm -hmm. survive and be happy. I'm almost just like, motherfucker, I already won on this end of things. Like mm -hmm. I'm I, I, now I'm, I'm trying to figure out how I can enjoy life um, yep. because being like, quote, like actual rich, um, is never something I've aspired to. I already have more than what I need and feel grateful for that. So that's one part. And then this really resonated with me as I've shared with you a little bit. I've been, I am okay in my current job, but have been looking for some new shit. Mm -hmm. I'm too young to quit, but I'm too old to hire. These yep. days a man can't afford to retire. Yep. Didn't vote for nobody last time. 
because they wasn't worth a trickle down dime. But one man's promise is another man's lie. And I'm just a regular guy. Fuck. Yeah. Felt it, dude. Yeah. Felt it every, right. every, every time. Like, dude, cause like legit, like what, uh, this is, this is coming out, you know, fucking December, January, whatever election day is next week. Yeah. And I'm going to leave half that ballot fucking blank, dude. Fuck. Yeah. I'm going to go, I'm going to vote for who, who I fucking actually care for. And anybody who I know just got forced on me because people ran a moneyed campaign against them in the primary yeah. to yeah. match up against, you know, this person, the other, I'm going to vote for Booker. Um, I think I'm going to vote for McGarvey, but a lot of the mayor, I don't care for the mayor who's running in Louisville. I think he sucks and the, and a Republican's going to win and our city's going to, and even if I voted for the Democrat, um, he'd probably just do the same shit. <laughs> Well, that's, yeah, I can point to so few actual differences, but like it, in New York here, I'm not voting for Kathy Hochul as much as I am voting against Lee Zeldin, against. which yeah. is, I think, the position that we're often in. And speaking of something we referenced earlier on this episode, one of the few legitimate differences that they have is I want to protect bail reform. And mm -hmm. Lee Zeldin has been very clear of like, he's no, going to undo it. I'm getting, I'm yeah. going to undo it. And Kathy Hochul is doing her whole dance around like, you know, you still have to pretend to like, you know, want to suck cops off all the time yeah. or whatever, mm -hmm. but has, you know, at least committed to like, no, the core of bail reform is about equity. This shouldn't just be about how much money you have. And so yeah. I don't expect her. She's very much a corporate fucking Democrat in pretty much every other way, but I'm like, that's enough to get me to check a box. And I'm just going to though, like, I'm I, I when I go vote, I am realistic about what it is, whether it's yeah, you see in, in Kentucky, it's so whatever you yeah. see in Kentucky, it's so different because harm reduction doesn't even fucking matter. That's like, yeah, totally. we're so fucked. We're so fucked. My my uh, I was I was texting uh, I was texting Tom about this, uh, our, our, our friend Tom Sheehan, uh, like I can't remember, like maybe six or seven months ago or probably around. I think it was around primary time. Um, and um, I, I said something to him and he was like. Or I, I texted him to him and he goes, can you do that? And I said, yeah, man, who's to stop you? Because I my my plan for if we were ever going to do anything of, uh, of changing what, what our political system is in this country is get as many people out to vote and then leave it fucking blank. <laughs> if we had 70% voter turnout and people receiving 14,000 votes, watch the news what would they do how would they reckon with someone getting you know with with 70 turnout someone getting 80 percent of the vote yet they only got like you know less than twenty thousand votes yeah in major like what do you and then we hit the streets so then instead of just fuck it this is worthless. I'm not showing up, showing up, show up, but, but you show up, you say, I yeah. want to, I want to, I want to participate in the, in the democratic process. I'm just not going to, to, to say yes to any of these people until you bring me some better yeah. options. It would, it would create a, a complete crisis in this country for the media. Yeah. And, um, and then we go out in the streets and we don't go to work for a little while. <laughs> I mean, that's it. We have far, underestimated the power of a general strike here um like i know it's never going to happen in my lifetime <clears> but god damn it i 
fucking wake up every day hoping. I mean, <laughs> dude, same. And I mean, I mean, frankly, seeing one of the few, <clears throat> you know, more successful um, <clears throat> labor negotiations in recent history with what happened with the railroads, because you finally found enough people who are, you know, even who, who don't necessarily give a shit about the workers and their conditions, but who really were like, hey, railroad fucking corporate assholes, y'all need to go take care of these people because if they go on strike, that hurts my bottom line. Yep. And recognizing like that's, I mean, this is, this is the root of all, you know, Marxism. That is where we have power. Yeah. Like I mean, it's, it's, yeah. we're at the point right now in, in, in this country where like the only progress we're going to get is when these corporations realize that if they don't make it, they're going to pay for it. Yeah. And like, it's just insanely like death culty to watch them see the writing on the wall and just choose to ignore it. Yeah. In certain situations where, I mean, I see it all the time in my job where I'm like, damn, y'all really must hate making money because you're doing a lot of shit to avoid it. Yeah. Cho like, I don't get it. Choose to ignore it or choose to like believe that the government will bail them out with the, yeah. you know, the, the money, which, you know, up to this point for many industries has been what's happened. Yeah. Um, I just, I just, it sucks being a smarter capitalist than some of the capitalists. Dude. Like I would, I'm so good at it. Like I could do labor <laughs> reform in such a positive way for my company if they cared to listen to any idea I had, but it'd rather just keep the pressure on, keep the, keep yeah. the immiseration on and, uh, and keep, you know, riding that train towards the derail and, I mean, you know, up. pretending like you can't see the tracks ending. Like it's whatever, whatever so y'all. So you're not going to show up at corporate headquarters with a suit and a PowerPoint deck uh, to explain how they can fix all this. Huh? God damn, dude. I told, I, I, <laughs> I gave, I gave my pitch to my, my union steward or my fellow union steward recently for the ideas I had for things that we could do to fix our, not just our, our contract, but to fix and incentivize a labor re like reform in within the company. And I, I walked in, I said, I'm going to give you the most radical things you've heard all day. And I know none of them are going to happen, but I feel the need to at least say them and let you run them up the pole yeah. just so I can feel like at least vindicated <clears throat> that like no one cares what I think. I mean, that <laughs> and then never underestimating though the power of like, I don't know, nudging something left. You know what I mean? I know. Yeah. I, I don't know. This this is me getting older talking. I think there was a part of me when I was younger that would have been like, ah, oh, that's just bullshit appeasement, this like incremental change. This is not actually changing anything. But, and I still in some ways feel that way, but like, you know, it's, it's changed me things like, you know, marrying into a family where some members of the family are undocumented immigrants and realizing like, oh, right, they can't, you know, they don't have the luxury of, of worrying about X, Y, or Z issue as much as I do, because there's this, yep. there's this survival thing here and yep. it's here. It's like, if this person's in power, I'm safe. If this person's in power, I'm not safe. And even though that person still very much sucks, I'm willing to like, you know, we should expect more than just safety in our lives. Yeah. We deserve more mm -hmm. than that. But 
I recognize my position of privilege to be like, well, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm safe under yep. either one of these fucking stupid regimes. So um, let me at least make sure you can breathe while yeah. you're here. Um, but all that said, um, props for like sharing the ideas though. That's awesome. Um, yeah, man. But, dude, I, I, but, but yeah, this song, man, it's I'm, just, I'm, I'm glad that I successfully predicted that this was your favorite. Too. Yeah. You got me on this one. It's a great, I, 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 I guessed your two at least. You did. I, I mean, feel somewhat vindicated. I feel like you've got a. I haven't been keeping track, but I feel like you've got a better record so far than I do in terms of accurate guesses. Um, yeah. But so, absolutely. Yeah, I would have to go back on the the, the notes before to figure out if it, yeah. how many. At some point, we'll 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 do scores and figure out where we <laughs> have been. Uh, how how we're doing? I think I'm gonna win though. I think um, you're going to win because ultimately this is about winning just like capitalism. Yeah. So yes, right absolutely. Um, mm-hmm. Well, this is a long, we knew this was going to be a long, yeah. one, but we got two tracks to go. Two tracks left. West comes. Nashville boogie. Let's go. So I'll say this. I'm not usually a fan of the slow fade in mm-hmm. on the song. I think it works on this one. I think it does too. Um, And what I wrote is like, this is like poetry for working class slash disaffected youth. Yep. The repetition is clearly like, the, the repetition and the music are both blues influenced, but mm-hmm. like, you know, and I've we've talked about that, like sometimes blues comes across as cheesy to me, but this feels like super authentic. And I think yep. it fits in really nicely coming after regular guy regular because guy. there's yep. similar themes, but in a very, mm-hmm. delivered in a very different way. Right. Yeah, no, I uh, I like this song a lot. I don't have too much uh, on it except for uh, like just I, I wrote uh, absolute ZZ Top vibes. Yeah, um, yeah. I said song rips, uh, song rips though. Lyrics are fantastic. Rock and roll perfection. Like I just I don't I don't know if there's too much to say about it other than you know what you said with the slow fade in. I think it works. I think it it does have this like kind of rowdiness to it. Yes. Um, the repetitiveness. I I do like we talk repetitiveness on this record and where some songs that it, it, you know, turns us off like me on highways mine. And mm-hmm. I think you were maybe not so much anymore, but when the people find out might've turned you off a little bit for me, the repetition on when the people find out is one of those songs where like, it goes and it goes and it goes. And I just go, yeah, motherfucker, keep going. I, I fucking, I fucking love this chorus. Yeah. Like, I, <laughs> this sure fucking rocks. But like this one, I think the, the repetitiveness adds to it because it, yeah it lets you learn. It teaches you the words. You listen to this song once, you know, the words. That's a good point. Yeah. And also like, again, the, the humanizing aspect of like the characters that Steve develops, mm-hmm. right. Cause this person yep. having the awareness of like, this shit's happening to me and it sucks. I'm about to do some shit. God, I got to get the fuck out of here. Right. Mm-hmm. E- even as I'm like, I got the blade. I'm restless. I'm desperate. I'm yep. going to do something. God, I got to get the fuck out of West Nashville so I can stop this shit. You know, like yep. there's this self-awareness throughout all of it that I think is really awesome. Also the reference to busing too. Yeah. It's sick. Yeah, dude. I mean, fuck like no count. What is it? White trash and no count. Mm-hmm. What, they, what they called me. Um, Fucking badass, dude. Such a badass. God damn yeah. it. Um, yeah that's really all i got for that one except for that that one fucking rules to me same it um, rules 
Yep. Last close track. Your, close your eyes. Yeah, we the 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 record could end with West Nashville Boogie. Yes. And I'd be absolutely. Happy. Yes. Absolutely. I wrote, I don't hate this song, but if there's anything I had to skip on this record, it's this one. Yeah. Um, and so it, it it's hard for this to come at the end because when you've already got such a long record, mm-hmm. you can't close it. I mean, you can't obviously it it is where it is, but it's like I wish the last track was stronger. And yeah. so and I, and I and I don't know what what song like I don't know what you do mm-hmm. to close this record, but it it could have been West Nash- Nashville Boogie and we would have just been like, yeah, dude, sounds like ZZ Top fucking rocks. Dude, I think podcast I'm, over. Talk to you guys next week. Right, dude. I think <laughs> the other kind to West Nashville Boogie could be really nice bookends. Oh yeah, honestly. absolutely. And it's not. I don't think "Close Your Eyes" is a bad song. Mm-hmm. I, 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 think I, it, I don't think it's bad. It's like save it yeah. for. Steve, save it for later. You know, mm-hmm. part of me thinks it's like, put this on another release. It didn't, it just didn't have to go here and make this 55 minutes long. In my yes, opinion. I agree. Cause it's not even a short song either. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Yeah. What I wrote is uh, I like the mandolin on the song. Um, but after a ripper like Weston Asheville Boogie, I feel like this song has no gas. It's not bad. It's not a bad song. It's fine. This song much like it's all up to you is just kind of a snoozer closer to me. Yeah. So like Exit Zero, this song just rocks so much that closing on this note feels somewhat lackluster. Um, and then I also wrote, so far, Down the Road on Guitar Town is the only closer I consider essential for a mixtape or a road trip soundtrack. Yeah, I, I hear that. He, we've got a, tr- a track record so far of these early studio albums of like undeniable bangers opening records. Yep. But then some kind of like, mm, not as strong yep. on the first, closing. First record though, down yeah. the road. Love how that record ends. Love Same. how Guitar Town ends. Think yeah. that song's essential. And I and I think this is something we need to keep going and acknowledge the first record we get to where we're like, we got another good last song. That's a good point. Yeah. And like to to talk about because when we get to a record that has a badass last song. I certainly want to have a conversation about how long it's been since we've had one of these. Yeah. And kind of keep track of like, does he get, does he get there more often later in, in this? Cause I really like thinking about it right now. I can't really remember what mm. some of the last songs on some of the other records are enough to be able to be like, yeah, I know one's coming up soon. Yeah. But, um, but I really am really, really interested because, uh, yeah, I, I, I wrote this record only has two songs. I'm not whole hog on though, which is impressive. Yeah. Like, so, so put doing the numbers 10 songs, Guitar Town, 10 songs, Copper Road, Road, 10 songs, X Zero. We, mm-hmm. we would have lost song. We, we could give up songs on all of those records. Right. This song's 13, and we can only give up two, putting us at 11 songs we considered. Yeah. Yeah. I so mean, he that, wins on this one. He absolutely. And that's why this is in my top five. I was literally thinking the same thing. Like, that's why for both of us, this is undeniably in our top five. Like, I hate to run the numbers and make it that, but that is it. There is a magnitude of good material on this record. I mean, that's in the words of, you know, Bob Shedd for Max to Grind, does it have tracks? And like, (laughs) yeah, it absolutely has tracks. So I, hard way, fucking phenomenal. Like you heard it from, you know, both of us, Steve Earl dorks, 
in our top five, undeniably. And I think our next moves are going to be interesting. We'll, we'll wrap up here because we know this has been a long one and we appreciate mm-hmm. you being part of this journey for us. But, you know, as we move forward, it's going to be necessary for us to talk some more about the context of Steve's life because after The Hard Way, it was five years until his next studio record came out. And, and prison. And prison. Uh, it, uh, falling harder into addiction, uh, a prison, you know, prison term. Um, and there's, there is stuff in between, including like shut up and die like an aviator, which is a live, which record. I still haven't touched. So I'm yeah, excited to which dig in. We into. definitely will. But like, yeah, the, the next studio album doesn't come for five years and train a coming and a hell of a lot happens where it could have been, there is a world where the hard way could have been Steve Earl's last record. Absolutely. You know? Um, and I am thankful to the universe that it wasn't, but I think that's just like important context as we kind of like wrap that up and think about this is truly a moment where, you know, we will be entering a new phase of like Steve's life and career as we like move into the, you know, next set of records or, or at least next set of studio albums yep. that comes after this one. Yeah. Right Which on, is man. a lot more than what we've covered so far. <laughs> that's right. I mean, that's, you know, we're, we're still just getting started, but it's like, we're very much like, if I'm trying to like be a historian and think about eras, you know, yep. of, of like, no, it's, this is a hinge point for sure. Absolutely. Well, man, I had a fucking blast doing this time. Dude, me too. Yeah. Um, and we appreciate all of y'all for putting in the time um, and, and going on this journey with us. So uh, again, this is Hardcore Troubadour. If you haven't listened to The Hard Way, this is your invitation to do so. We'll talk to you all soon. Peace. Peace.